3: All right. Let me know when uh, you guys are done writing your verses. Writing? Oh
4: come Shut up, on. Steve. Go with it,
3: huh? Just off the top. For me, the best part of the show is the
5: the pre-roll panic of the theme. It's a little. <laughs> I'll point to you when it's your turn. Shut up,
0: Steve. <laughs> I know everything you say. I'm about to say.
5: No, it's just the, that that frequency is a little jarring, right? Yeah. I do it as pressure. Let's go. Uh, when, when my name I is Sugar. When three people man, are I done, have... it's happening. <laughs> when three people are done, let's go, kids.
2: Let's go, Dad. Ah. <laughs> Suprema, sup, sup. Su-
4: There's like a, a roll call. Suprema, sup, sup. Suprema roll
2: call. Suprema, su- Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call.
3: As I sit here. Yeah. Yeah. Sing this jam. Yeah. I remember a time. Yeah. The roots were almost on polygram.
2: Roll call. Suprema.
4: roll call. My name is Fonte Yeah. And I'm not alone. Yeah. Cause I'm with my peoples. Yeah. In the comfort zone. Roll call. Yeah. Suprema. Yeah. Su- Suprema roll
5: call Suprema, su- su- Suprema roll call My name is Sugar Yeah I like this setting Yeah But it's not as nice Yeah As Kaylee's wedding Bro,
6: uh, 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 Suprema, uh,
3: su- su-
4: su- Suprema rolling rolling.
2: call Suprema su- su- I'm unpaid bill Yeah I can't complain Yeah It's time for stories Yeah About Purple Rain
6: Roll call, right. Suprema, sup, sup, su- Suprema. Roll call, Suprema, sup,
0: sup, Suprema. Roll call. It's Laia. Like
6: yeah.
0: AX is here. Yeah. So much to say. Yeah. Won't get in the rear. I didn't pick you. Roll, roll call, call. What? 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 Don't. What?
6: Suprema,
7: sup, sup, Suprema.
6: Suprema. Suprema. Su- su- Suprema. Roll call, Suprema, sup, sup, Suprema. Roll.
7: Last name Yeah. first name Ed. Yeah. How'd y'all get me? Yeah, to come out of bed. Roll call. Roll call. Suprema, really? sup, su- sup, suprema, suprema. Su- su- suprema. Roll call, suprema, sup, sup,
3: suprema. Roll call, suprema, sup, sup, suprema. Roll call, suprema, ah. sup, sup, suprema. Roll call. Wow, that was a uh, interesting choice of. Uh, Versus you guys. We did good. Did. Yeah. It was, that was rather amazing. Four so, out of five ain't bad.
4: Yo, man. Shout out to DJ Khalil for uh, making this happen, man. Big shouts out to uh, DJ Khalil. DJ Khalil made this DJ happen. DJ Khalil. Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: That's what's up. That's my fam. Oh yeah, man. No.
3: Okay. We are still live in Los Angeles. How How's it going, kids?
2: Oh, uh, Great as always, dad.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Would you, what was the highlight of your night, son? Nope. Uh, <laughs> right, 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 right. You can only tell a great story one time. I learned
2: it from watching you, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> you.
3: Wait a minute, that was a national commercial? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh that
4: was, yeah. That was some
3: good They kind of presented it in a local way, so I thought it was just a tri-state
4: area. Oh, no, no. It's
0: like, nah. don't be a dragon lady. Wait, what's that? It's non-smoking. Don't be a dragon. Lady! Y'all don't, come on 80. See, that's that a
4: local joint. Yeah, I, we didn't have that one. It's a non smoking right. ad?
0: Okay. I no. Sure. Yeah, I okay.
4: Care. See, I <laughs> thought
0: I got of from watching I
4: thought
3: that was just a Philly New oh, York. Oh, nah, no, that was everywhere. That, was that one weird. in the in
4: the fried eggs is, is your brain on drugs, yeah. right? That one. Yeah.
3: All right. So of course, uh if you're not familiar, this is Quest Love Supreme, the award winning Quest Love Supreme. <laughs> we won so many awards before. I, I don't I don't know the other words that we just we All of them. We swept at the schmuckies this year. <laughs> okay, we swept. I see. Uh, how's it going, Fantigolo? Ah, Doing good,
4: man. I'm making it.
3: I guess by the time this comes on, the uh, festival will have been over? Yeah, yeah,
4: Made in Durham. I, I think, it, hopefully it'll be over with, by the time this shit come out. But uh, <laughs> no, nah, October 7th, um, we did it, and it was great. Uh, nice. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Manifestation.
5: Yeah. Uh, Steve? Jazz world, how's how's it treating you? Everything's good. We got the album you did with David Murray that's available now. It's streaming, and you know people are gonna vote for it for the Grammys and everything. It's you know, I was just great. I
3: was just having a conversation with a recent Questlove Supreme guest on the show, and he suggested, "Hey, why don't we do a project together?" So that can Faith happen. Faith Newman. <laughs> yes.
0: Shout out to Faith. I ran into her like not too long Faith ago. Faith Newman.
3: Yes, I saw Faith Newman down. At, the, at the Nas birthday party. Yes. We're down. Yeah. Yeah. P- Pino wants
5: to make something happen,
3: Captain. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of making it happen, Captain, weren't we supposed to make something happen with uh, Bob James?
5: Yeah, yeah. That got postponed. Sorry. Okay.
3: I
0: love a Questlove Supreme collaboration. There's yeah. been a lot throughout the years. Let's you know make it happen.
2: Yeah. yeah. All right, yeah. Dr. Sesame Street. Uh, no, I listened uh, to the David Murray Questlove record, and it is awesome. It's crazy. It's really good. I'm still discovering stuff.
3: There's a lot of samples on it's it. Really it's really good. So if you just isolate Ray Angry, that could be like the next 12 Roots albums right there.
5: Yeah, it's incredible. Like four platters. Oh. So,
0: is that on Apple crazy. Music? I mean,
6: it's God. on.
3: Yes, it's called it's Plum. Okay. Plum. What was your logic? I wanted to call it uh three pleiadians walking into a bar but of course you did <laughs> yeah but well we we did include that in the right artwork. one was called i, I got the name one song but you know it's steve so what's our n- next project called peach okay and what would that be hopefully belial
5: you that's a way with, to say that uh, name. ray and doyle bram hall i like that <laughs> i like that okay yeah. <laughs> i'm with that oh and uh elena penderhughes on flute so okay like a quintet that's what's up okay Peach,
3: I got it. Laya, how's how's life,
0: man? Listen, it's good. Podcast. Shout out to Laya
3: also for really like putting in the hard work and organizing these. Uh, she's sort of our person that targets the guests that come on the show. Call and- that a booker. You well, be well, trying to you be
2: booking the shit out of this. You, <laughs> you book. You she book. Just, right. I mean, you call <laughs> her booker. That's at a low book. level.
3: I just I like. <laughs> I, feel like I feel like you run the shit. You're yeah, the producer. Oh, you're the boss. Oh,
0: That's nice. Me, yes, me. Yeah, okay. me, yeah, Jake, so you, and Brittany. We you, are you, Jake,
3: Brittany. You but right. yeah, yeah. take your own flowers. Lia. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, take no, these flowers. Don't take these dandelions. We love you Lia. Take this love. Okay,
0: thank you. Anyway, ladies and
3: gentlemen, I will say that after our awesome Lisa Cortez episode of Questlove Supreme, in which we kind of went through the story of the close but no cigar outcome of where the roots were going to land as far as their major label was concerned. If you don't remember, we we had been, you know, spending all of 1993, 30 years ago, having showcases and whatnot, the very first label that we uh, wanted to sign to, of course, uh, Mercury Polygram, and we were really excited, they took us out to dinner, we went to like a black sheep legion video set. It was all exciting, and then because of a technicality, we wound up on another label. So I kind of see this as like an alternative universe. <laughs> right yeah, yeah. This is like that movie, uh, Other Earth. This is an alternative universe in which I am talking to the former president of the label that I never got to sign to. Um, but not that. I mean. As former president of Mercury Polygram, but he's also been a, a senior executive and also a, a producer, executive producer and a music producer for a lot of the music that we uh, have grown up listening to, still currently listen to, name it Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, Bon Jovi, uh, Kiss, Whitney Houston, Queenie G, Brian McKnight, Tony, 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 Tony. Very happy about that reunion, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you see the North Carolina show?
4: No, I didn't see the show. <laughs> nah, well,
3: wait, I, I thought it. their first show they did a test show in North Carolina. I know they're gonna circle. October
4: first, which today is not October first. Oh, 1st. I get it. <laughs> so, I, yeah, but But I you don't it. know
3: that in September they did a secret show in North Carolina. Well, I missed Charlie. that one. Right. Yeah. Um, I missed that one. Yeah. They did. But it, the only thing about like tours when they start, if you don't see the first three shows, is almost guaranteed that they're gonna shop the songs in half once they mm, find a the rhythm
1: yeah 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 yeah.
3: so I saw the set list of what their show was and it's way past the roots in LL it's like it's damn near three hours like it's a 90 minutes <sighs> they got minute... bangers man wow. yeah well they start with all the classic filler Mm-hmm. Then they go into Raphael's songs that he wrote for other people. Oh, shit. Because no, So he's doing all like in cozy. Yeah. He's doing... We're gonna fuck up the, what
4: do what you wrote for uh, Beyonce? Fuck off the night. What, what will you
3: covet. be? Covet. That's Covet. covet. Yeah, that's, that's Covet. covet. Okay. Co- yes, Covet. Covet and Cozy. Ooh, yeah. that might um, I'm, I'm sorry. The first as, time as, that's a, ever as a, a, a wordle player, I'm getting Ew. my C words mixed.
0: So proud of y'all for knowing these things. Yeah. The Beyonce things.
3: Well, she's too omnipresent. Like, Beyonce's like a air and water. It's like hard to resist. And then they go into uh, the solo stuff, and then they end with the hits. Mm -hmm. So, but of course, you know, management stuff's like, uh, can y'all just turn this into a two hour show because your audience is like whatever. But anyway, so much for the Tonys. Yes, our guest today, I pray, has uh, a lot of stories about his journey in this music business that we love. Please welcome to Questlove Supreme, the one and only Ed Eckstein. Thank you, thank you.
4: Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Ah, thank you for being here, man. The long clap. We gotta <laughs> wait for 40 <laughs> seconds of clapping. <laughs> <laughs> this
2: is how much <laughs> we love it. One next time, people. time.
0: A guest that listens to the show, too. What? How are you today? Yes.
7: You I'm listen good. to the show? Yeah, I do. Oh, wow. I, I listen when I walk in the morning. Wow.
5: How yeah, do you explain that roll call, then? Oh, no! Shots fired. Shots fired right off the gate. Oh, oh, right. oh, oh damn. damn. Who knew the jazz guys got a <laughs>
7: pistol? Oh, <laughs> I'm very well. <laughs> I, get
3: the, I get the feeling you've been telling the juth about like we got you out of bed this morning what what is your morning routine what do you do I, I like to know what executives and creatives do for the first half hour of the morning What what's your morning routine
7: i get up i uh do a meditation and a prayer and i go for a walk i try to walk you know close to ten thousand steps really more like five right uh, uh, hey listen you know, yeah it'd be nice. i'm it's with you, I'm, I'm with you, you. <laughs> <laughs> and i come home you know have my breakfast Chill with my, my wife and my son. Okay, you know, just get on the, and get on the computer, you know, do my thing.
4: How old is your son? How old is
7: he's twenty two. Oh, okay, yeah. That's what's up.
0: And what's your method for meditation? You know, we're into that here. What's that about?
7: Just close my eyes and you know think about you know um, what I can do to better my life and be better for the for the world as a collective that day. You know, mm-hmm. just all yeah, you know, just positivity. Try to be as positive as possible.
3: You said something, and now now I want to get there. Everyone reveal your steps right now. What what's on your phone? Your steps. Do you know how to look at your steps? Oh <laughs> uh, I went to the gym this morning. I'm gonna win.
2: Okay. What is it? You go first. Eight
3: thousand three hundred and six. I hate you right now. That's <laughs> me my too. I told you. On a good day, that's what I hope to get to. Like me getting above five thousand is my goal. Right now I'm nine eighteen. Mm-hmm. That's not gonna do it, pal. I'm lazy. With the heart yeah. on that's it? like from the, that's door the to here. No, that, yeah. that, 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 yeah. That. Yeah. sometimes in my in my hotel hallway, I walk twice. Yeah, hope I get it up to a thousand. What's your step,
5: Steve? Uh, it says six In and Out Burgers, eighteen cigarettes, <laughs> five coffees. Jazz guy, track the head.
4: Uh, I'm at five hundred and forty-four steps. Oh, I'm
5: okay.
0: good. I'm at twenty-six seventy-two.
3: All right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's try to get it up to five thousand at least. Okay. That will help us. Do it.
0: Okay. Were you? Did you say yours?
3: Oh, I said nine hundred eighteen. Okay. Good stuff. I slept late, and uh, you ain't got
0: a bank excuse. We just
3: gonna do it. We just uh, gonna do it. But you know, I'm supposed to do at least ten thousand. You know. So, Mm -hmm. like, I know for you, and it's rare to meet executives. Oftentimes, I'll meet executives that are more about saving their jobs. And submitting their legacy and they don't really seem to be passionate about music or music fans, but I definitely know that you are a a passionate you love music more than anything. I do. I so do. It's, it's in the blood. It's almost weird <laughs> to me. Do right. you do you find that as well, like that executives aren't are mostly there to cross Ts and dot I's and really not Not all, but a significant portion, yeah.
7: Um during my period when I was active in it, um, there was certainly there were music guys in there, and there then the Wall Street takeover happened and it became, you know, sort of an element of give me twelve pounds of music to go, you know. <laughs> Nobody's really listening to it, you
3: know. In my head, I kinda hold like nineteen ninety-seven as kind of the Mason Dixon line of where hip hop, you know, suddenly realized its its earning power mm-hmm. and then suddenly it became big business right? Right. as opposed to whatever me, me living in the delusional state of, Hey, people love music for music and it's an art form and that sort of stuff. Good luck with that. (laughs) Right. Well, I know. (laughs) Right. But for you on the executive side of things, was there a glory period? And then was there the Mason Dixon line period of like, what am I doing here?
7: Yes. Um, From the executive side, what got frustrating was in those days, it was still terrestrial radio, largely. That was the master that we had to honor, you know. Um, There were so many situations where there were acts that you loved, said, you know, I'd love to try and go get after this and break it, but you knew that radio wasn't going to play it. Um, And it was, you you had limited resources of what you could spend to make things happen. And um, so to a certain extent, I found myself in the position of chasing things that you thought were somewhat safer but you know not that my instincts may have gone in one direction but the realities of the marketplace and after all i'm running a business you know is just another
3: so all right i need a five second moment of reflection right now because instantly i'm regretting the decision i made (laughs) 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 i'm literally sitting here like wait a minute if this person was at the top of the pyramid, how would my life have turned out? I don't know if this particular tortoise in the hair journey mm-hmm. is for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It, <laughs> it was it was <laughs> a, a long, hard 30 years in getting here. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I'm here. So yes, I will say that I don't regret anything. Mm-hmm. But I will say that of anyone that I dealt with in music. To even hear you speak on that level, mm-hmm. in my head, I'm already like, "Damn, where was where was that person when I needed them in my career?" Because we, the reason why I'm here is because we had to fend for ourselves. Yeah, right. people were just like, "I don't know, figure it out for yourself." So right. we had to figure it out for ourselves. And so, yeah, I'm having a moment of, "Oh damn, <laughs> I wonder what would happen to have we chose."
0: Well, who knows? Ed, you might—he might have been a different Ed in those days too. In that but way, now, yeah. Then made, I'm going to ask: yeah.
3: Were you the same Ed now that you were 30 years ago? Well, some ways, yes, but
7: no. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but as far as you guys were concerned, because I remember vividly, Kenyatta, I do. Kenya, I bet you do. Kenyatta Bell was the a r guy who was who was actually working for us. Who who first identified you guys? Was yeah. excited about. He worked for Lisa Cortez, so he and Lisa came to me and said, "We're really interested in this band." They said the magic words band to me because when I signed the Tony's was at a period when there was a lull in black bands Mm -hmm. and I come up from that era. And I always viewed the Tony's as the last of the Mohicans on the R&B band level, but of the hip hop generation, Mm -hmm. I remember vividly, um, seeing them play a performance at the Palladium one night in New York and they were killing that night on stage. And the audience was just dumbfounded staring into space and I was there with the late great Gary Harris, ah, who was working for me at that time. Gary yeah, and, Gary and I are, say, Gary, you got to do this. Yeah, exactly. That's how he talks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and Gary and I standing. I'm looking at him and say, gee, what's up, man? How come nobody's reacting to him? They're killing up here. He says, you got to understand something, man. He said, well, he says, most of the kids in this audience have never seen kids their own age playing a musical instrument. Wow. I was like, wow, really? And so yeah, that, that was the reality. of it. So when I heard about you guys, you know, the combination of, you know, Tariq and a band. I said, "This is interesting to me." And I always remember that, that showcase. It was a cold as hell night in at SIR NSIR Studios. I froze myself half to death. Yes, um, I had a, uh, a clause in my contract in those days because I'm from LA. That if it got to single digits in New York, I could I would turn around and go home immediately. <laughs> and if I was walking through time, you know, Times Square with time and temperature, you know, of the sign of the world, if I looked up and it was, you know, 3:52. Eight degrees. I'd walk back to my office. And Chris book me. To, I'm going home, and I think that night was one of those nights. You know, like uh, Lisa got me to stick around to see the band. Thank so you. Did. All right. Yeah, it's cool. That's Thank fucking you brilliant, that. though. Really to put that there. That's brilliant. Huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How you even know Moore. to
0: put that in there? Like, that's so interesting. Like, did somebody else tell you once? And hey, you know, and when you do a no, new contract,
7: no, because I I worked I spent enough time back east because I went to high school back east and I was working for Arista when I was at Arista and you know, some I didn't have the Clive wasn't playing that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, my whole house? uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio
8: app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: I knew other name at Exxon. Of course, when you Mm -hmm. read album credits, I saw your name on like Vanessa Williams's projects and the Tonys and whatnot. But what was the road that led to your present? Like, how long did it take from the moment you entered the mailroom? to presidency. How long was that? Um, I started at Polygram in
7: 1987. Um, Dick Asher was the president of Polygram in those days. And he, cause Polygram just for a little inside baseball was a Dutch owned Phillips Dutch owned company based in, based in Hilversum Holland with, a, with a European base in London, headquarters in New York, with uh, satellite offices in Nashville and Los Angeles. But the creative centers were largely London and New York. Right. So let's just extend Los Angeles. In those days, Polyphonogram UK would sign acts exclusively for UK and, and uh, America wouldn't have the rights to them. Dire Straits was one of those bands. Metallica was banned band like that. They weren't signed to Polygram for the world. And so when a guy called Dick Asher took over who had run CBS role. When, when Dick took over Polygram, part of the edict was to sign things for the world. so And they wanted to up their presence in the, as a West Coast creative center. So um, there was a head of a at, at Polygram at the time, a guy called Dick Wingate. Shout out to Dick. A lot of Richards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so Asher apparently had had a thing in his mind of who he was going to hire for this West Coast situation. But Wingate and some of the A&R guys in the New York office felt he was going old. He, they want
3: somebody younger. And I was going to ask you, is he well-liked? Who? I only know the name Dick Asher because if you're a fan of liner notes, uh-huh. I believe on Fever of Black Planet, mm-hmm. Public Enemy wrote, and fuck Dick Asher. We got Bill <laughs> Stephanie watching our backs. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa, what does that mean? That was so yeah. many <laughs> targeted. <laughs> yeah, Dick was cool. Uh, or he was just I, an, an no. executive?
7: Yeah, Dick was cool. He was great to me. I, I, okay. Once again, sidebar story that... Um, I was having a conversation with my pops at one point after Polygram had offered me the deal, and ma- made me an offer, made me my offer, and dad would say, well, tell me, baby, tell me about the deal. I, told, I ran the deal down to him, and when he sat and digested, he said, damn, sounds like you found an old-fashioned nigger lover.
6: Billy <laughs> 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 he- <he said>, ladies I love and gentlemen.
7: Yes, <laughs> I love said, it. Those are kinda of hard to find these days. Billy <laughs> <love laughs> is always okay. so, problematic uh, shit. Yeah. Dick, I love it. Dick was great to me. Dick was absolutely wonderful oh shit! you know and afforded me a great opportunity there i see so. all right
3: so what where were you born
7: born here in la all right st john's you, hospital santa monica do you remember your very first musical memory i do what is it being uh my parents were having a party we were living in, i was born in santa monica but we were living in hollywood my parents were having a party um i was apparently like two or three years old um they were having a party in the house and you know, a whole bunch of Bird was there, Billy Holiday, and different people were at the crib. And mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. this is all going on on mm-hmm. the house. <laughs> you know, they're playing. Mm-hmm, we have like the history <laughs> Mark, Wait, of time jazz. out, dog.
3: <laughs> wait. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You were in this lifetime when Charlie Bird Parker was- Was alive, yeah, indeed, yeah. Wow, and you've seen, or you've been in the presence of Billy Holiday once- Ish, basically,
7: but, but the story is- well, Even if you were two. Yeah. 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 My, my memory is, because we had a two-story house, and and the second floor, I somehow crawled out of my bed, and there was, you know, the second story, and the you know the things that hold the, and I was looking down at the party, my parents said they looked up, and they could feel a presence, and all of a sudden they looked up, and here was my little face looking down at everybody. And I was attracted to the music, and the noise, and the cacophony. And Billie Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, dark, I need
3: more stories of your life. Like, give me a version of your childhood in which you don't know mm-hmm. that God's in the room with you. Like, oh. My parents once told me that whatever i I, I went to the school with jackie jackson well that's a bad example but you get my point (laughs) Mm -hmm. best way i could answer
7: that is just my dad was an avid golfer because he was on the road all the time and when he came when he'd come home from the road he played golf a lot and one of the things that was always fun was we'd come home from school you know because in our house you had like a little bar sort of speakeasy area where he used to chill after he played golf and he, he never knew when we'd come home who was going to be in the crib with him, who he played golf with that day. Had days where he'd come home and he was there with Smokey or there with Marvin Gaye or there with Sean Connery. Um, this just, is when he was on Motown, right? I know he signed Motown. He signed <laughs> Motown in the mid-60s. Yeah. Okay, cool. All but right. yeah, this is, this is mid-60s stuff. I'm like 12, 13 years old at that point. Um, so just little things like that. Um, the other aspects of it, there were there were moments because uh, the whole Billy Eckstein-ness of it all was he was just Pops. But you know, the fact that you know people my friend my kid's parents reacted more to him than you know anything else, yeah. you know. And one of the things that Pops always tried to do to my brothers and I, from my brothers and I was demystify the business, but also sort of put a vibe on it to make us understand that although people kind of went buck wild when, when he was around that we had to realize that he was no better or no worse than anybody else. than the people across the street who had, you know, regular quote unquote, regular jobs, his just happened to be in lights and people got excited about it. So that was really, um, that was sort of a God moment in its own way of just, you know, that how life was, you know, the, the pops is just, you know, pops
4: is a How singer. many uh, brothers and sisters did you have? Or, There's uh, seven of us. Oh, wow. What? Yeah. Where
7: do you fall? I fall in the middle. It's five boys, two girls. Okay. I got two older, three older brothers, two of whom are deceased now, and then then me, and then my little brother, and two younger sisters. In any of uh, your other siblings? Is they go into music in any way? Uh, my brother Guy is a producer and a manager, and um, and my youngest sister, our youngest sister Jean, is a singer. Okay. Yeah.
3: As as a child or as a teen, um, would other adults annoy you if they start? singing to you like moody's mood or anything like that you're dead ish um really (laughs) sort of get to us was you know collectively because he was on the road
7: so much you know, and the only time we really talked to him was on the road was on Sunday nights. You know, right. we here hear from him, you know, and he Dad, I hit a home run on Tuesday, blah, 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 you know, that kind of shit. Um, so when he was home, there were very valuable, cherished moments. If we went out to dinner as a family, invariably there's somebody who come, Ah, oh, Mr. B, I saw you in Moline, Illinois in 1951, blah, 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 you know. And we were trying to talk to Pops and, you know, we, we were sort of taught slash trained that, you know, that the fans are the lifeblood of, you know, of us having the ability to live the life that we live, so just kind of smile your way through it and, you know be polite be nice and pops would handle it from there and if you, if they stayed a little too long he say hey baby i'm trying to have dinner with my family here you know I get it. and if they stayed long say get the fuck out of here you
3: know <laughs> so. i was i was going to issue a mandate like none of you do a there i go reference so anyway uh, that, <laughs> but then I if forgot, you, you told my us song. not to do yeah. it then we'd like, do it, yeah. it. Yeah. or you'd
5: yeah. want us to do it yeah, my favorite song <laughs> so <is laughs> much deductive reasoning happening
0: did you have peers in that way though ed since you were part of this kind of music musical family did you have people other kids that kind of felt the pains that you were going through because their parents were on tour and
7: ish. Um, but we're I grew up in Encino, California, so we were the only black family there till the Jacksons got there. I was about to Jackson, say yeah. there were other black people. Until in, so in the Encino? Jacksons got there.
0: Okay. Um, so y'all were there first, right? Because because yeah, your dad yeah. Yep. Yeah.
7: Yeah. And um, so any of the. The va- Encino at that point, it's in, it still is in the San Fernando Valley, Encino was basically a two-lane dirt road with orange groves and a lot of almond trees and shit. And then somewhere in the late in the late 50s, became a bit of a go-west-young-man syndrome, a lot of folks moving out to the hills there. And a significant port, because with the expanse of the film and TV business out here, and a lot of the folks that moved to that part of the valley were business people, largely Jewish, from New York, from other parts of the country. And certain parts of the city here were redlined that, you know, certain Jews and blacks couldn't live in certain areas. So the valley became the, uh, the area of development, you know, mm-hmm. of, of, of principal development. And the line of demarcation in, in the San Fernando Valley is Ventura Boulevard. And a lot of the kids I grew up with were, you know, Mo Austin's kids, Eddie Rosenblatt's kids, different, you know, showbiz, showbiz kids, you know. Making movies of themselves, as Steely Dan said. Right. And uh, don't give a fuck right. about nobody else. I um, got you. So. So they were your peers, but they really weren't your peers. Yeah, were peers in the sense that their parents weren't performers, right. but you know, there were some. You know, my older brothers, like my second and third, my second oldest brother went to high school with Sally Field and uh, and Cher. Mm. Uh, yeah. So yeah. She
3: went to school. Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had like,
7: had a moment about this. Was called 15 years ago. It was during the. Uh, the Kobe Shaq Laker years. It was at one of the playoff championship games. Sally Field happened to be standing in front of me at that game and um, in the stands, since I tapped her on the shoulder and said, I said hello to her and I said, you went to high school with my brothers. And she kind of looked, gave me a quizzical look of like, you know,
10: uh-huh. looked at
7: the suntan. And I was like, wait a minute, there were no none of you motherfuckers. Said, right, right, right. Oh my God, you're kidding, Ron's brother. <laughs> instantly
6: knew, <laughs> yeah, instantly knew. Yeah, exactly. yeah.
3: So, well, actually I asked, okay, I asked the Jacksons the same question, but now that I know that you were there first, first of all, were you aware of the situation that you were placed in? Yeah, I asked them, what is it to be? because I you know, I always considered the Jacksons the first post civil rights result. like all that that mm-hmm. between, you know, reconstruction slavery and civil rights and then you get to this point post 68 where the idea of freedom or the idea of pursuit of happiness whatever and the Jacksons sort of took that and I asked them, like what was it like navigating those first five years in Encino in Los Angeles you know I've seen the photos you guys have Rolls Royces and fancy cars mm-hmm. and, and a roaster and all that stuff mm-hmm. And Marlon was like yeah and I routinely got stopped by cops Mm -hmm, and all that stuff mm -hmm. so were you aware that it was like proceed with caution or was it like yeah very aware
7: Um, partially because how we were raised you know my dad was very active in the civil rights movement and the conversation around the dinner table or all meals actually was either showbiz or the Civil Rights Movement. The Civil Rights Movement played out on TV every night on Walter Cronkite and stuff like that. And Pops was was close with Dr. King, close with, with Malcolm. So as a result, we were very aware of who we were and what was up. You know, my parents Pretty much that was one of the things they, they hammered home to us, you know. Don't for one minute start thinking you're white up in here, you know. It's this right. is reality of your existence, you know. Um, Which and, you,
0: you know, must have confused people a little bit visually as well yeah, at that Yeah, well,
7: and I realized that some of that, too, was, you know, because there's a certain amount of ethnic ambiguity, you mm-hmm. know, inherent to uh, to the suntan right. and, and, you know, and, and the hair at the time. And uh, and as a result, you know, there's but there was always a kid every year in school. that want to step to one of my brothers and I, nigger. You know, you pop, oh. pop somebody in the face, and then uh, and then you'd get sent to the principal's office, and then they say, well, we're going to call your parents. You didn't want my mom coming down. You know, mom was straight out of Georgia, Thomaston, Georgia. Okay. She oh, wasn't oh, having oh. it. So okay. she was like, you know, if they don't hit those people, if, if they don't punch them, you know, when they get home, they're going, hey, it's going to be their ass.
0: You know? so, Ha-ha, that's what my so mom
7: that was that was That was our reality. But, yeah, the Jacksons period was was cool because I, um, that's when I first met them and John McClain okay. um, during that period of time. Um I, I was I was I went to a boarding school in western Pennsylvania. Where a place called Kit the Kiski School outside of Pittsburgh. Near Pittsburgh, okay. Outside of Pittsburgh. My mom's yeah. in Pittsburgh, okay. Yeah. Actually, Jake, your your producer, went to one of our rival schools. Okay. Um, you're fired, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Good. So I was at the school in Pennsylvania and one of my really close friends here was, was screwing up in school here and he got sent to a private school private day school here in town, which was where Motown sent the Jacksons once they could no longer go to public school here, a place called the Walton School. So when i come home on vacations, our vacations were out of sync with my friends' vacations here, so ostensibly my days would end up being spent either hanging out with my mom, because Pops was on the road, hanging out with mom, going doing what mom was going to do, or sitting at home and you know, just listening to records all day, which mm-hmm. I did a fair share of that and play my guitar. But my buddy was like, dude, why don't you come, to the, come down to my school and hang out with us, the Jacksons are here, blah, 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 all the honeys are on the Jacksons, Jackson's hard, <laughs> <laughs> and I was in an all boys school, so I mean I'm in. So I started going. You're hand- just allowed to show yeah, up, and you just show up on the campus. Damn, so we did. Okay, and uh, play ball. We played ball all day, and that's where I met met those guys. Okay, and Mike was Mike was little, you know,
3: chasing insects and rats around. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds about right. Ben, what was your? Do you remember the first album you ever purchased?
7: First album I ever purchased was Meet the Beatles. First single I ever purchased was My Girl.
5: Where's the family record collection? Yeah, uh, where is the family record collection? <laughs>
7: uh, I had, I sold my vinyl about 15 years ago. I had, you know, yeah. 15,000 pieces, and sold all kinds of okay, shit.
3: Okay, on behalf of yeah. uh, Fonsigalos, Steve, <laughs> <Yeah. IC laughs> Unpaid Bill. <Okay>. Yeah.
7: <laughs> yeah, long story, long story. Um, but yeah, I sold it, and then uh, mom and dad's collection, I still have a bunch of it, you know, but- How many you know, records
6: you, think? Mm,
7: they, they had a fair share, not a lot. Um, some of this got sold. I got a great story that uh, we had a lady who was a housekeeper for us uh, in the late 50s when Ray Charles was blown up with all the Atlantic records. And mom and pops love those records. So they had all the Ray Charles albums, you know, the early Ray Charles records. They came home from tour at one point, went to get to put their Ray Charles joints on, they weren't there. And they're like, where's the records? Mm-hmm. And this one housekeeper lady, Gussie, 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 you know, pinch the records. Mm-hmm. So she 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 left and, and mom and dad told her said, Look, all's forgiven. Just bring the records back. You know, you got every your job back. No, she didn't want the job back. She kept the fucking records. Wow. right? proud of her family right now. Yeah. 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 Right? Really oh, God, now I gotta check records.
3: my collection. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Jesus Christ, when you sell a record collection, that means you're really that music Over. is in the rear view mirror.
7: <laughs> Will I ever I just digitized everything. But yeah, I mean, right, I love but the still, vibe. Still, I need love, yeah.
3: tangible proof yeah, that. Yeah, tactile thing. I did something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in, the,
5: in the end, a man is judged by his record collection. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Pretty much. When people come in my house, that's the first thing they do. They like, <laughs> they, what are you listening to? That sort of thing. And, you know, look at stuff.
7: Yeah, I was known for it because when I used to go to the. Go to Kiski. School is called Kiski. When I go to Kiski, I'd you know come off my holidays. And i always have three or four footlockers filled with vinyl, filled with records. And they say me, so all the kids' at school do me as a record guy. You know. Okay. Yeah. Can I ask a, a little <laughs> follow-up yeah, on your
5: question? So the first two records you bought, The Beatles and and My Girl. Yeah. You know, how did those? Sh- first two purchases shape your taste in music and well, your career? I was a
7: Beatles on Ed Sullivan kid. You know, when I saw Beatles on Ed Sullivan, I was like, I want to play guitar. I want to play drums first, but mom's wasn't having it. You know right. i like, I ain't gonna have all that noise up in my house. So <laughs> I said, I'll play guitar. And then I got a guitar, you know, later that year for my birthday. Don't play well, but I collect them pretty well. But uh, my <laughs> son actually is, is a prolific player, prodigious player. And... My girl was just because I loved the single, you know, the, the lick and all that stuff. Easy and, you to know, play. Yeah, yeah. And I always tell the story of people "What well, are you singing? you sing like your dad? Oh. So I must have been like 11, and I was singing My Girl in the, in the shower. My dad opened the shower door and said, stop singing, boy. <laughs> 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 so he closed the shower door and walked away. I figured Billy Eckstein tells me not to sing. I, I'm not going to sing. I was going to say, that's where the Billy Eckstein, he ain't joke
3: really works. <laughs> Shout out to Prince. So I would assume... Being a, a young teenager in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, and being in the position that you're in, mm-hmm. you've been privy to many a concert yep. experience. Yep. Uh, can you give me your top three concert going experiences as a kid? Yeah. Well, kid meaning under 21 or just whenever. All right. Well, give me your, your pre- what was the first concert you went to? That's not your dad. Yeah, it's not my dad. (laughs) But even then, I'm certain that your dad's done festivals and stuff you've seen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so Um, you got to include your
7: dad. I went to see Marvin Gaye at what's now used to be a club called Ciro's with my older brother when he was when he was in college. I was like eight or nine years old.
3: Pre-beard Marvin Gaye. Yeah, when he was still still suits, you know, hitchhiking,
7: stubborn kind of fellow Marvin. Oh, wow, was early. uh, was it just like, meh, or did you I was, I was into it because I loved all that shit. You know? Okay. Yeah, I loved all that shit. And there used to be... A theater out in the valley in Woodland Hills called the Valley Music Theater. It was one of those theaters in the round. Mm-hmm. Um, valley Music Theater used to do shows, and and this was before the rock and roll industrial complex, as we've come to know it, came to fruition, came to, came to life. And in those days, all those baby rock bands were out here making records, but there was really they're having hits, but there was nowhere for them to play. They weren't touring, so they would do a lot of promotion shows for local pop stations near KRLA, and so KRLA did a did a show at. Um, at the Valley Music Theater, like the Doors, the Birds, the Buffalo Springfield, three other bands I'm not thinking of right now. I remember cutting, going out one night, you know, on my bike, riding to the gig. My parents were were work. My dad was on the road. Mom was with him, going to that gig, and then you know, down the road, you know, once I you know professionally, uh, Stones 1973 at at, at at the at the Forum. Oh shit! You saw a post-exile
3: show. Of oh yeah, stones. absolutely.
7: When oh. they did the tour with the uh, with the lotus flower that opened, you know. Yeah. Open like, they opened a honky tonk woman and Mick was hanging off the front front lotus. It's a cocksucker blues. blues
3: tour. Yeah, it was great. Was Stevie opening for them Stevie then? Was, yeah, Stevie was oh, opening. Wow. Man.
7: With Ray Parker and Ollie in the band. Yeah. 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 And uh
3: Denise Williams too. Yep, yeah. exactly. She she uh, gave uh, a lot of debaucherous stories about that tour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um and then Bootsy,
7: Bootsy at the Forum, 1978, 77, yes. 70, you yeah. know, post. Play of uh, the Year. Yeah, post post the uh, P-Funk Earth Tour, but it was Bootsy Play of the Year thing. Yeah, at his height. You know, with, uh, you know, with uh, Maceo doing the, uh, the opening high. Hy- oh, you, Bootsy, the, great. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> <going> nuts, <laughs> right. you
0: know. Right. You know, the
7: place, the whole Forum was just shaking. It was amazing.
0: All right, y'all. I mean, my whole house? uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss.
8: Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: So by the mid-70s, or even in the late 60s, are you trying to figure out what your path or what your goal in life was like? and i'm certain everyone asks you like and what do you want to be when you grow up mm-hmm. yeah. like all right so when you were 12 what did you want to be when you grew up
7: i wanted to pitch for the dodgers i wanted to be the black sandy koufax
3: oh okay yeah. that's what's up yeah. so when you were in 10th grade mm-hmm. 15 16 did that change yes yeah, i still wanted to
7: be koufax but i was more into me i was also into music at that point point. and in those days The twain hadn't met yet where, you know, basically jocks were jocks and, you know, it was very much sort of beer frat shit, you know, whereas music was hipper, you know, and the -hmm. the girls were there. And so I was like, "Eh, yeah, I don't know, sports thing's cool, but no. And then it's certain when I got to college, it all sort of went up in smoke.
5: What kind of smoke? (laughs) (laughs) Indo smoke. (laughs) Yes. By
7: the
3: time you got out of high school. Uh Uh-huh. Would you say then that's when you saw your path to... Yeah, I knew I pretty much wanted to pursue something in the music business.
7: Because right out of high school, I did not want to go to college immediately. I wanted to take the you know the, the bridge year, as they called them in those days. Okay. And my parents weren't having that. You know, my parents were oh, like... Oh, immediately. Yeah. What, to, what college was this? Boston University. Oh, oh yeah. ooh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my parents weren't having it. You know, there was a you know, striver thing and all that stuff. And if you go to Europe, it means you're never coming back to college, blah, blah, blah. So... My interest was music, and you know, I figured you know, I love my parents dearly, but I wanted to get as far away from them as possible, which is L.A. I went to Boston, and Boston had a very thriving music scene in those days. Um, as it still does. You know, mm-hmm. significant college population, so I just immersed myself in that.
3: The mini show there—it's yeah. yeah. it's kept me alive.
7: Well, Used to walk down the street. Aerosmith was a local band there, playing in front of the student union. Jay Galsman, Peter Wolf was still on the radio in Boston. Gosman was playing. So
3: you got to witness these people when they were yeah. just upstarts, and just to see whatevs.
7: Aerosmith every freaking day it seemed playing on Commonwealth Avenue in front of the BU <laughs> Student Union. You know, what doing the same shtick that they did. You know, a zillion years later, and uh, cut to 1973, 74. I'm I'm here back home in LA. I'm driving down the freeway and I'm listening to rock station KLOS and Dream On plays, mm-hmm. and you're Dream On, and I have that moment where it's like, all of a sudden I hear this, wait a minute, why do I know that song? I know it's from somewhere. It was so out of context, and when uh, when the guy says, oh, these are new bad boys from Boston, Aerosmith, I was like, oh shit, those motherfuckers got it." <laughs> 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 yeah.
3: yeah. So there have been a few guests on our show. Well, earlier you mentioned um, A&M exec, oh, John McClane, that we, that we always miss. Uh-huh. So, you know, I mean, we've had guests on the show, notably Lenny Kravitz. Mm-hmm. Telling me of a period, especially like between seventy five mm-hmm. and eighty one, eighty two, in which kind of Black Hollywood, Black Young Hollywood, mm-hmm. that world was so small mm-hmm. that you had to know the Carrie Gordys, mm-hmm. the the Kravises, the Medinas, mm-hmm. like anybody in Apollo. Were you ever sort of associated or inducted in that? Circle, because everyone seems to have known each other. We can never get John McLean on the show, and I'm mad as hell. It's kind of happens. I knew people,
7: I knew them, but I didn't hang. You know, I was in it, but not of it, because um, I had my own little sort of world at that point. And that was well, the earlier part of '75. I was already working for Quincy by then. But you know, '72-'73 period—that's when I first got in the game as a writer. Um, that's when I first started doing writing for Soul magazine at the time. And you wrote that, for Soul. That was my first gig. Oh. Shit. Yeah. Um
3: You know how much money I just put down for back issues of soul? <laughs> that is crazy.
7: Yeah, actually the way I ended up there was I was there was a kid that I grew up with in my neighborhood, a guy called David Guest. David lived yeah. somewhat in infamy in
3: as the guy Liza who married who Liza Minnelli. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I was like, wait, I yeah. know David Guest. Okay and, and, somewhat
2: in uh,
7: infamy. Yeah,
3: he, sure. <laughs> and uh Wait, why don't you do that like family feud? <laughs> and
7: David and I grew up grew up in Encino together and uh you know, he he was he was a record troll too. I see David a lot in the music stores. We had different pursuits because I was a guitar player. I was into guitar, you know guitar rock stuff. Mm-hmm. David was was into girl groups and shit. Mm-hmm. So um, we had this thing. You know, missed us that whoever got on first would pull the other along. So David was writing for Soul at that point, and uh, he would he go, wrote for Soul magazine. He, he, eh? Well, eh. okay, uh, wait for it. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so. Um, So I used to tag along with him to shows and stuff, because in those days, LA, the sort of deal here was like Monday nights, stuff would happen at the Whiskey, Tuesday night was openings at the Troubadour, Wednesdays were the Roxy, Roxy was open by, Thursday night would be a total experience down the hood. And and Friday, Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday Saturday nights would be concerts. Right. So I would tag with David. And I'm gonna ask you about all those places. And in those days, the press was treated with a certain level of dare I say respect, um, or catered to and so I would, I, would, I, would, I would hang with my man and get in the rooms and you know obviously being this tall, tall dude, tall black dude in the rooms there weren't a lot of us there. So as a result, um, one of the things that happened was I would see the shows with David, and David could hardly write his name, let alone write a story. And because I'd gone to a school that you know English was you know put upon us, right. so I wrote all his stories. It wasn't like it was exactly true. You ghost wrote him. his joints. I wrote his joints. Wow! <laughs> yeah. So one day David had gotten hired by London Records to work with Al Green for High, with High. And uh, and he went into Regina and Regina and the editor at the time. And said, "I'm leaving. I'm going to do this." Blah, blah blah. Dave, we don't want you to leave. We love your stuff so much. All that shit. You know, on and on. And David says, "Well, you like my stuff so much. Meet the guy who's been writing it." And and from stage left, here I come. And uh, and you know, really, and they they signed me something. And I wrote a couple. You know, I wrote I wrote for him for about a year.
3: That is crazy. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned those clubs, and this is what I want to know. So, my period of LA. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I came after. Mm-hmm. I came in on the tail end of whatever the former scene was, mm-hmm. where like Sunset Boulevard mm-hmm. was sort of a safe, right? Well, it was also the death row period. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's just say after ninety eight, it yeah. was more. You know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you know what I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. But if you are wanting to hang with, like, where it's hip and your people's. Like, is the Total Experience Club the only option in town? Mavericks Flats, another club on Crenshaw. I've heard of that. Yeah. Now, where is that at? Right down
7: the street from, uh, on, on Crenshaw, right down the street from where the Total Experience was. So it
3: was no thing to hang on Crenshaw in the 70s or in the 80s?
7: It was, in, well, well, Mavericks and, and Total Experience. Oh, in the 80s, maybe the Comedy Act Theater. Um, okay. You know, there was stuff to do
3: there. Comedy act is where like Robin Harris and. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how I signed up. Damn, that's mm-hmm. right. You you signed Robin yeah, Harris. Yeah, <laughs> I got that. Yeah. So, for you though, were you an open format fan? As in, okay, I'm going to see Aerosmith one night yeah, and then the next whatever. night I'm going to see Rufus Absolute, the next night.
7: Absolutely. Country, whatever the case may be, you know? I get it. Yeah. Were you at all into the LA punk scene? Like Not much. Not much. So, you didn't see like bands yeah. like X or none of I those. did see X, uh, did see Missing Persons. Chili Peppers, When the Chili Peppers early. Were chili, pups, okay, yeah.
3: So where would like those pre sky fish bony right post punk yeah. band? Where would they play? Like- Madame
7: Wong's. Madame Wong's was a Chinese restaurant on uh, on Wilshire Boulevard.
6: Okay. down
7: down in Brentwood, borderline Brentwood, Santa Monica, and then also there was Madame Wong's downtown. They would play there, um, or the Starwood, which was at La Cienega and Santa Monica Boulevard. Um isn't that still up or Oh Crescent Heights in, in Santa Monica Boulevard. Um, okay. it's not there anymore. I think it's been developed into like a mini mall or something. But that was the place where Van Halen emerged from and uh I remember seeing uh Clinton do the Uncle Jam tour there. The Uncle Jam oh, okay. jam show there, yeah. Funkadelic yeah. show. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned working for Quincy. What was your first
3: industry, industry
7: gig? Get- well, they paid me any money or just period. Um, cause, well, okay. I, I was, as, was, as an intern, yeah, where did soul, you start? Soul music thing and then also uh, soul magazine thing. And also I had a gig at Rogers and Cowan one summer, PR firm, big-time PR firm here okay. in town. Um, they were looking after Stax uh, and the guy who was, who was the head publicist there, a guy called Sandy Friedman. Um, Sandy hired me to do some writing for them. I was working in the mailroom, actually. Deanie Parker, who was the head of PR for, for Stax, recommended me for this job, Al Bell recommended me for the job, actually, okay. in the mailroom at, at, at Rogers and & Cowan. And uh, I was, you know, I was just a, a token black kid that they hired because they had a black account.
3: And so I was there and uh, did that for a minute. And, um, you know. Wait, guys, we... <sighs> We just had a guest on the show that also started out as PR, and is Ramon. Ramon Hervey. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was trying to get yeah. my yeah. Have you ran into him in circles before? Yeah, I knew, yeah. knew Ramon. Is Vanessa this Vanessa's... Okay, now I get it. I get it. Okay. Yeah. So, you, so at the time, did you think you're going to start as a publicist or... I kind of was that. I mean, when Quincy initially hired me. That's
7: pretty much what I was there to do. You know, I was there to sort of blow up. He called me a pygmy stretcher. He said, Go stretch some fucking pygmies, Edward. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> <The hell? laughs> that's Quincy Pylons. Okay. Um, yeah, so he hired me to, as he said, I'll make the music, you make the noise. And, uh, and that, that was kind of what I did. So I was there to you know, basically do PR, marketing, uh, and sort of keep an eye on his interests at the record company. And I was floating around the a lot and people looking at me like, who is this nigga? What's he doing here? What's he do? You and know? this was a,
4: This was for Quest Records? No, was... Quincy Jones Productions. Oh, this was. Yeah. Yeah. So was this yeah. like
3: gotcha. doing the sounds and stuff like that period no. or Be Body free. Heat? Body Heat. Yeah, he oh, me. wow. Okay. First, so are you the reason why he did a really random guest on Soul Train like with the yep. Brothers Johnson? It's yes, and... my brother playing drums. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and my little brother playing drums. Yeah. What? Yeah, oh, yeah. My... guys playing drums. Oh my, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my yeah. God. Uh, I'm sorry Now I'm, <laughs> yeah. Now I wanna Just <laughs> yeah. stop wanna the episode yeah. <laughs> To watch it What are your relationships like? Cause I know now For instance Like there's former interns of mine At The Tonight Show mm-hmm. That then intern at record labels And maybe in a year or two They'll figure out Okay my A&R My publicist Whatever mm-hmm. There's a system to go through Are you going through A road less traveled Like in terms of publicity Like how do you know who to market Quincy Jones to? Like, do you know the people at People Magazine? Do you know if Rolling Stones into them? Yeah, it was at that point. It was just pull out the gun and shoot where you where you may. You
7: know, uh, good luck. Okay. You know, um, so it was just to. I mean, at that point, he had voluminous credits. Okay. Um, and not a lot of hits. Um, you know, and my job is to basically make those voluminous credits seem. As I used to say at the time, you'd say to people, you know Quincy Jones? Yeah, I know the name. What can you, uh, I have no idea. People didn't really know what to attach the name to, you know,
3: I and my job to know, is to attach the I name. I wanted to know how potent he was pre-off the wall in terms of like, cause I know the the idea of, of Quincy Jones, especially now mm-hmm. is definitely the post thriller effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's told me stories that even off the wall was a hard sell because, yeah, like, they didn't want him. You to, know, the yeah. he, this guy's old, past his prime, whatever.
7: Well, actually, the line was they said he'll make him sound, like, he'll make Michael sound like the Brothers Johnson, and the Brothers were which was double p- platinum, at which that was point. great, and Mike was like, <laughs> okay,
3: <laughs> right, right, yeah. I see that. So, yeah. but
7: th- in terms of the potency, I mean, obviously, it was it was a build because when he hired me, ostensibly, the short of the very long story is. I was there to do an interview with him about Body Heat. Mm -hmm. Um, I got a call from the publicity department A&M asking me would would I be interested in talking to him about Body Heat. So I listened to the record, loved it, said I'd love to. And I had known him since I was a kid because he had conducted for my dad and and he had signed my dad. He made some of my dad's records at Mercury Mm -hmm. when he was head of A&R at Mercury. Um, So we went, he told me to meet him at A&M because he was still doing his big band down at down at Disneyland. Disneyland used to do big band shows during the summer. I uh, said so meet him at A&M, met him at A&M, got on the band bus, went down there. We sat backstage and talked for, you know, all night. He never did do the interview. So he come by the crib the next day, I did and talked more for 12 more hours, never did do the interview, told me to come back Sunday and do it again. We did it again on Sunday and I never did do the interview. And I realized after it was all said and done while I was there to interview him, he was actually interviewing me. Um, And the truth was he he explained to me something I came to realize years later, Quincy sheds skin every seven years, seven years or so. You know, he makes changes, overall changes in whatever he's working on and he was about to make and he said to me, he said body heat was indicative of many things he was he was moving away from the whole big band arrangement thing to more rhythm section based electronic R&B vibe Modern, and right. he, as he said to me he say hey, man he said i feel like every day i'm going to film studios doing this big band conducting thing but i'm going home at night listening to stevie rufus and Chaco, ohio players and earth wind and fire and he said i want i want to jump in those waters and that's ostensibly what body heat was um, and then, you know, Body Heat was his first gold record. It worked. Mellow Madness was, you know, first platinum record, mm-hmm. first gold and platinum. Well, and Brothers Johnson Look Out for Number One was also platinum. The first gold and platinum albums by black artists that AM had had. And he just, you know, slowly built it from there, you know? It's crazy.
3: So, yeah. uh, I found your brother, by the way. Yep. This
7: is. Uh... Yep, there it is. That's, That's Guy it. back oh, wow. there. That's my brother, Guy. <laughs> That's
0: dope. Yeah. yeah. All right, y'all. I mean, my whole house? uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week i'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever i'm talking marcus dixon olympic gymnastics kane velasquez salacious super bowl level scandals join me on the dark side of sports by listening to playing dirty sports scandals on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
8: this is neil strauss host of the tenderfoot tv true crime podcast Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: What is your, how long did you stay with Quincy Jones? Until? I was there for
7: for 11 years, from 1973 to
3: 1984. Yeah. Wow. Who was the brain trust behind his branding? Mm. Like I've never seen someone have their logo on someone else's record before. Yeah. He he said he
7: was like I want to I want my logo on there, you know, and said and we and I fought, helped him fight for it. But
3: well, that's and, so unprecedented though. Yeah, like, yeah. who knew to do that? Like, is that is that the first? Uh... What do you call the drop that every producer has? Like... Oh, the first like a uh, a producer tag.
4: Yeah, like, yeah, uh, like is that the music? Right, you know, that's the whatever. first version <laughs> yeah. of a producer tag. But no, no. But seriously, I mean, if, if not to that extent, but no, it really was great, branding because every time you saw that logo, yep. you knew what the record yep. was going to sound right. like. It, it, you, at least for me as a kid, like yeah. reading that and seeing Quincy Jones' productions, like okay I know I'm getting Paulino da Costa, Jerry Hay uh-huh. I know I'm getting Rod Tempresent yeah. right you yeah. know what I mean it was yep. already just kind of a, a yep. built in selling the mechanism. other thing
7: we used to do too is when he was doing a new artist so I always say Quincy Jones Presents you know mm-hmm. the Brothers Johnson or whatever you know
3: at any point uh, do you sort of elevate past like doing his publicity to yeah. like actually working yeah. so like well I know yeah. you work with Patty Austin yeah I did where it's weird like I know I believe she's his goddaughter or yeah, yeah, I'm she, his godson. Right, yeah. he, that that's how they born. sold her. I feel like yeah. <laughs> forever, yeah. right? Right. Like they Austin, if you like. Right. I I like, yeah. like, right. Yeah. So, like, what was your first big responsibility? Brothers, Brothers Johnson. Really? Yeah. Okay. um So for those three, four yeah, albums. I, I
7: was there for four records, from the first album through through the through us, album. light up the night. Light up the night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Look All out right. for number one. What was the second record uh, right on time. Right, right on, on time. time. Oh God! Blam, blam and then, worst yeah. beat in my life. Yeah. Well, you know, because they
3: jumped again. This is another impressionable Americans in Trouble story. You know, they were jumping on the album cover and the, the yeah. I guess the oh, camera fire. filter was over. Yeah, yeah. right. And so I once I I used to always go to my dad's band mates like mm-hmm. and try jumping and I jumped and dropped the <laughs> dad's guitar players and. Oh, <laughs> yeah, boy, and talk about look out for number one. Number one was the belt, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, and you live to tell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. So, like, what were your duties in terms of their projects? I was de facto manager, um, but really, yeah, like, okay. you know,
7: like um, project manager or like manager of the product acts manager, and, oh, m- okay. product as well as artist manager. You know, just right. sort of connected the dots on his behalf because in the early days, the first. Free records, yeah. They were ma- Quincy had a management company called Mellow Management, mm-hmm. and then and, and it was he, basically he and I got, and a guy called Peter Long, and um, Peter Long actually was. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Sesame Street. He was married to uh, Loretta, Loretta Long. Loretta Long, yeah, exactly. And yeah. Peter Peter was. How long was he married to Loretta? A long time. He, he plays w- keyboards, right? No, uh, no. He was the stage manager at the Apollo, and he and he ran the the Apollo. Um, Kids. Pro, pro. Luther came through there. Nile Rogers came through there. Yeah.
3: And uh, Luther, the only authorized yeah. book, that's how I know the name. Yeah. Luther kind of speaks of how, like, wanting Peter Long's approval mm-hmm. of, like, I guess Peter was sort of like the, the, the doting father that, you know, never yeah. gave. He was very acerbic. <laughs> right. And Luther always felt like no matter he would sell out concerts. He was Luther Vandross and finally like uh, maybe the the Busy Body Tour, the Night I Fell in Love Tour, like Peter Long was like, all right, I'm proud of you. You you did well for yourself. And like Luther like cried, like finally I made my dad proud. Like that sort of thing. That's how I know Peter Long is. Yeah,
7: Peter was the responsible adult because during the course of the early period of my existence with Quincy, he would always bring in, because I was a kid. He hired me when i was 19. Mm-hmm. um and he would always bring in a so-called responsible adult to kind of you know balance me out you know make sure i
3: didn't get two buck <laughs> and uh and peter was that guy okay yeah so as a manager and i'm so glad i'm interviewing someone who was a manager in the 70s <laughs> uh were writers a thing yeah that okay yeah. so yeah. similar to now ish but yeah but you know now they're
7: more pronounced and in those days, you know, it was primarily, you know, the Black pr- Promoters Consortium, you know, so you, you know, if you tried that I only want the red M&Ms, like, nigga, fuck All you.
3: Right.
7: <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so I I later found
3: out from David Lee Roth that they weren't separating the green M&Ms. If you don't know, Van Halen was world famous for separating mm-hmm. the brown M&Ms from mm-hmm. from, from the pile. Mm-hmm. And we thought that was the most arrogant rock star, debaucher <laughs> shit ever. But we later discovered that It was not true. Yeah. We later found out that the reason why Van Halen had that in their writer was because um sometimes promoters would not read the writers at all. Yeah, mm-hmm. See if you're paying attention to details yeah, yeah, yeah. or not. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And so that was the mm. that was the thing. Wait, one more question about them. What happened in nineteen eighty one with the winner's record and why didn't Quincy produced that album. I was gone by then. I mean, I wasn't gone then. Um,
7: you know, the guys wanted to.
3: Quincy, Work on their Quincy,
7: own. Quincy got tired of hearing, yeah, these records are great, but wait till you hear what we do and we get a chance to do it ourselves, you know? And Quincy was like, okay, have Show fun me. with that. <laughs> right. <Yeah? laughs> well, it's weird
3: because it's not like they stopped working with Quincy. I mean, you know, Lewis yeah. still L- L- yeah,
7: exactly. was working with them,
3: but in their mind, they're like, did they feel as though they wanted to get a more modern sound, or you thought they had graduated and were ready to get out on their own? You know, um, ah, and you all let that happen. <laughs> Is this also a classic case of like you know you got to let them find out on their own? Yeah, and he did, get and, in their uh, own and, way. And then also
7: Quincy at that point was doing other stuff, so you know, oh, you <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, Mike and his own records, and right. you know, So,
3: so where did you jump to after that? After Quincy in eighty two, Arista.
7: Arista. I, okay. went to, I went to ariston in 1984. No, I started in 8, J- January '85. I had
3: uh, so this kind of after too Whitney. tough. No, well, I mean, I, I always is, consider yeah. Angela Booth like my. Uh, yeah, I loved, uh, loved her. Loved her.
0: Loved her. Yeah,
3: what was she like? Cause any time she was on television, mm-hmm. she was the most. Her and Tata Vega were the most eccentric mm-hmm. humans I've ever seen mm-hmm. get interviewed. Right, she was. And what was about her? Like, was she just, did she have, like, was humor her shield? I don't know. I
7: was crushed out, because, you know, she was on GRP, and Gruson is one of Quincy's closest friends, and it was very... So
3: Dave Gruson really ran GRP?
7: He and Larry, Larry Rosen, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I remember when she played here for the Angela Night record, you know, doing a right. big coming yes. out party here in L.A., and uh, I was I was crushed out. Um, yeah. Crushed out fanboy. Yeah. And uh, when I got to Arista, they... Too tough. It just sort of happened. Had mm-hmm. happened, and they were doing a greatest hits record, and uh, Clive had me looking for songs for the greatest hits record. You know, they wanted to add two an extra tracks. song. Yeah, right. extra song. So we just a song called "Still in Love" that Derek Bramble produced and wrote. And uh, yeah, Angie was. She'd call me,
0: "Hi, Ed."
7: She had a little little, little cutesy voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she was, you know, said ex- kind of eccentric. Yeah, she was cool. She's very eccentric. under
0: the moon and over the stars. Yeah, exactly. Listen,
3: so. What was working with prime Clive Davis like? Well, 1984,
7: when Quincy and I stopped working together, I got a call from Neil Portnow, Portnow, you know, yeah. who ran the Grammys. Yeah. And Neil at that point was the head of West, head of the West Coast for Arista. So he calls me because I knew him from, from record business out here. He worked for 20th century records, worked Barry White and stuff Barry like White, that. Yeah, yeah. Barry White. And then James Ingram, the original James's first deal was actually a 20th, 20th century. What? Uh, yeah. We jacked him basically from them Okay. And, and Neil calls me one day in the office. Hey, what's up, Neil? He says, there's a rumor that you're leaving Quincy. I said, it's not a rumor. I said, I'm leaving. He said, would you be interested in talking to Clive because Jerry Griffith is leaving, Jerry Griffith being the guy who had signed Whitney mm-hmm. found Whitney. He said, would you be interested in talking to Clive? You know, I said, yeah, sure. Cause I was well aware of the legend of and all that stuff and had never met the man. Neil says, to me, he said, Ed, there's just one thing to remember. And I said, what? He said, Eris is a label of artists and Clive's the biggest artist on the label. Wow. And,
4: uh, oh, uh wow.
7: so I got gotcha. you. So, um, I got a call and met him over at the Beverly Hills Hotel, you know, the legendary enclave where he holds court when he's here. Right. And, uh, in a, in a, in a suite, you know, with speakers. Basically, I thought I was in a fucking Metallica gig, you know, <laughs> cranked, you know, and he people so just blast music. He's and... blasting, you know, okay. and he's played me Whitney. He's Whitney was work in progress. The first record, mm-hmm. uh, he played, you give good love, played uh, a bit of how well I know and saving all my love for you. And you know, when I, just back to back to back and couldn't really talk to him. And afterwards, I said, Oh, that's Whitney Houston. He goes, really? How'd you know? I said, I said, I know these things, you know. And and recently, they had had a showcase here in LA for writers and producers, mm-hmm. which was kind of a legendary story at the time, where he was pitching for songs and stuff. And Quincy couldn't make it, but, but and I was well aware, and you know, and shit, Whitney was fine, you know. I, I, knew, I, knew, I, knew I was smart enough to
3: know that. So, um, do those things generally work? Like yeah. when you gather, uh, you know, a bunch of 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 writers. not even name brand, but writers and producers in a room and someone tries to sell you on their artist like we're going to really make it work yeah sometimes does that generally work sometimes and when it's clive davis or quincy jones yeah you know okay.
7: yeah so when it's just you know some pisher a and r guy but no not i, much, I see. not so much um but yeah so you know he played me played me that played me a kashif some of the kashif record that was in motion okay um kenny g record which was basically a kashif,
3: kashif record with kenny playing solos <laughs> Was he generally, you know, okay? Not not to throw on the bus, but like kind of like the way that Jimmy Iovine operated during the time when we were under the the tutelage of Jimmy Iovine. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like if you're in a world where you're dealing with Sting mm-hmm. and No Doubt and Eminem, da 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 da, then it's like you might just get like a, a once a year below Good. there and whatever. But in general, was Clive the type of artist that paid attention to? A group, like Reel, oh, a, a group like real, a group like real to real, just wow. like he would. Oh, wow. you know about real to real, dude. Oh, yeah. I'm a Leon. We're a Leon. <laughs> I was still
7: Stills. Leon last week. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, he's I have been on I, the show. And he's... I
3: took him a copy of the real to real cassette. He'd forgotten all about it. Dude, they just released that that album. Uh-huh. They just digitized it like maybe a month ago. Wow. It's finally on streaming. But I'm saying, would he pay attention to them as much as he would Air Supply or? No, no. Um, <laughs> Sorry. The <they're, they're> priorities. <laughs>
7: Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. Um, their situation, mean, basically the rule of thumb that we had amongst the A&R staff, whether it was true or not, but it was we've, we found it to be the practical reality, which was if he had stuff that he was excited about at one point and it somehow had lost its luster, it didn't perform in the marketplace or whatever, and they went back in to do their fill in the blank second or third record and the new songs that came in weren't as cool and blah blah blah, but they didn't want to pay out. You the, the, the throw the bone to the A guys. Here, fix this, you know. And real to real was one of those situations
3: uh, uh, for me. Okay, yeah. now 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 I know what happened to like average white band and 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 real to real and and Patrice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But nah, I yeah. feel so real. Like, well, it's hard to tell. Like when if you're a kid and you hear a song long enough, mm-hmm. on... you assume it's a hit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but okay. So even Jeffrey Osborne explained his situation with with Aerosmith, and same with Ray Parker Jr. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like who would you at at Arista? Who? What was your duties there as far as like watching I was, acts? I was vice president of
7: A and R for the R and and B area. What acts um,
3: came under your tutelage?
7: Well, obviously they went, They were under Clive's tutelage, right. you know. <laughs> but uh, uh, Aretha. It was during the Freeway Love period. Um it was heavily during the Nard. Period. I have some great, fun Nard. Yeah, moments. please
3: give me. <laughs> I'm also curious about just how jazz fusion guys, mm-hmm. ironically, weird enough, start establishing the pop landscape yeah. of the '80s. Like, was, and, and Nard is one of those people. That, yeah, with like, him as
7: I should have loved you. You know. I remember yes. that very well because right. we, Brothers Johnson, toured, the, the tour was Narda, Michael Walden, Rufus and Shaka, Heat Wave, and Brothers Johnson. Oh, and uh, All in one bill? Yeah, in one bill. Arenas. And, uh, and Narda had like 15 minutes up front, you know. you basically do I should have loved you. And then, you know, some... I don't want geez. anybody else to dance with you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, <laughs> okay.
3: out. Yeah. I think that was, uh, what's his name? Randy Fris- Jackson was playing Yeah, Randy based. was, he was 17. <laughs> oh. Yeah. 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 So as an a and and you know who your boss is. Mm-hmm how heavy's the pressure to readjust your ears mm-hmm. and your preferences mm-hmm. to sort of blend in with his for yep. survival's sake yep. as opposed to i think it should go in this direction yeah um it was a
7: frustrating experience but I learned a great deal and I hold dear to my, to my heart the 20 months that I worked for Clive because um, he puts you up on game, you know, because when I came out of Quincy, it was kind of like I'd been in a glorified mom and pop or, or I've been at Howard mm-hmm.
3: and going to Clive mm-hmm. was like going to Harvard. Harvard. Yeah, you know? yeah, um, what's the main lessons that Quincy taught you that, and what's the main lessons that Clive taught you?
7: Quincy, I'd say song, song is king and melody is queen, truth and honesty at all times. And, you know, creatively
3: bust, or business-wise, all the above. Okay.
7: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, my, my take on Q in those days was if there were two doors in a room, one was marked artist, one was marked business. Ninety-seven percent of the times he would go in and out of the artist door, but you know, the business door was was he w- was well oiled. He okay. was in out of the, you know he was highly evolved as a businessman. I get it. Um, he was really driven by the business, and his business drove his art in a lot of levels. Um,
4: what, so. Clyde was it the. Was it the inverse? Was he was more business than Clive Mark? was song, so, but he
7: was definitely business and it was the feel for the marketplace. Um, this sounds like a pejorative and it's not intended to be per se, but we used to hear from time to time just because they're artists doesn't mean they know what they're doing. It's our responsibility as a and people and creative people at the record company, cause we're spending the money to find hits to find the hits for them. So
3: is there an example of a song in which the artist might be perceived as kicking and screaming? Like, is, there, is Air Supply like, oh, we hate this I evening, or better, like. I wasn't
7: really f- fucking with Air Supply. Air Supply wasn't there when I was there. OK. Uh, um, and Manilow had Manolo had more or less had it's left right. the label at that point. Okay. Um, I was there during the, you know, it was Billy Ocean, you know, with the jive stuff, Houdini with the jive stuff. OK. Um, that's what Friends are for, Dion. Okay. Because um, that, that was a frustrating record for me. What, what well, was frustrating? T- tell the story. <laughs> yeah. um, Why did Glass Night only get no a verse?
3: Whole album, that was just a record. That was a single, so, wasn't
0: yeah. it? Yeah. Same,
7: single,
3: yeah. 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 What's the story of that from your. Soup the nuts. Yeah, you know. my my
7: frustration was Arthur Baker and Little Stephen had come to me with the with the Sun City record. Right. Um, we wanted to do that, and 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 I played it for Clive, and played it for Roy Lott, and ran it up the flagpole for all the obvious reasons. I really wanted it. Right. Uh, and I like Arthur, and I like Stephen, um, and I brought it in, and and it, it kind of dangled and dawdled for a bit. And uh, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to do the Dion has just come to me with this idea from Burt Bacharach, blah, blah, blah. It was the front end of the whole AIDS epidemic thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I admit that I was a bit of a knucklehead. I was like, fuck it. Fuck that. Damn, uh, this is important. <laughs> <laughs> the sun cities however. Uh, right. uh, black people, black people, black people. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they weren't having it. And then, so he wasn't having it. So ultimately, Arthur and Stephen took it to, to Manhattan to Bruce Lundvall, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, and then Clive... You know, they did that's what friends are for. And this is pre digital, so any kind of cuts and edits were actual tape cuts and stuff. And there's a guy who was on the A and R staff with me then. Uh, still a friend, a guy called John Mervos. Mervos and I have had a running bit ever since then because there was an AR meeting at one point where Clive had us in there listening to a bazillion different mixes and different cuts, you know? Stevie first, Gladys first, Dion first. You know, on a, you know keep smiling, keep
3: smiling. <laughs> you know, <yeah. laughs> so you, you're trying to tell me that they wanted to piecemeal together like... Yeah. All right, so the, we'll bring glass in the end, and da 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 da. they did it all. They did. Everybody had a solo verse. Everybody had an ad lib. So everyone's saying, the, sang the say verse, and then you I mean, guys had to couldn't. figure out the combination.
7: And, and, and he would offer his, you know, it oh, was that deep. Oh yeah,
4: he was, and How he did he did
0: figure it. out the 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 sequence? Who, Who had was, the go first? Yeah, like, how did you?
4: Oh okay. there you go. Oh. No. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, I just always felt that song. I mean, I was what, five, six whenever it came out, but I always thought it felt like they were trying to make a we all the world. Like they were going for that moment, like mm. another anthem kind of that's yeah, what it yeah, felt yeah, like. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? But I always wondered why Gladys Knight never got
3: a verse. Yeah. she just comes in on the ad-lib the, at the ooh, end yeah he's ooh, ooh, yeah. smiling yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the only time she appears yeah, on yeah, it yeah, yeah yeah right so good so were you there for the recording of it or just like not in the studio but you know in the in the office
7: because you know that, that was a clive project so yeah. you know you would bring the a and guys in you know when when there was a decision to be made or listen to this what do you think kind of stuff you know
3: and uh and how long yeah. did it take to to slice together and all of those things I don't know. It's just, I remember. I just remember the meeting being interminable. You know,
7: and uh, hey. at a certain point, you're like, oh, Keep "Whatever, just, <laughs> put, put the shit out."
3: We we, we got to get a, Steve, a little Steven on the show because yeah. I just finished his uh, reading his autobiography uh-huh. and him talking about leaving leaving yeah. right on the payoff of Born right. in the USA to do uh, uh, artist against apartheid, and yeah. he's a good man. I almost. I was, Almost hired him at one
7: point at Mercury, to really? Do A&R. Yeah, because you know he's part of the Bon Jovi mob, and uh, he's a record guy. Man. Yeah, so I used to see him a lot around John and Richie and those guys. Okay, and, uh, and he talked to me when he had the, was just forming the Disciples of Soul. Okay, his band, and uh, I remember being in, in England with Bon Jovi and Stephen was there and kicking it with him, and he said, "What about an R job?" And, you know, so
3: how long was your your run at uh, Arista? Twenty months. Okay, from January. What was your last uh, few months
7: like? Weird. It got weird there (laughs) for for, a bit um, because the project that I ended up working on that took, it became pretty clear to me early on in the process that um, I always said that, you know, it's Clive's candy store. And if he doesn't want a certain kind of chocolate in the candy store, you're fucked. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were things that I wanted to do that, you know, kept getting shot down. Is this a canine posse story? (laughs) I had Levert uh, early. um, Wait, what? Yeah, had Lavert, because um, because Eddie and uh, Eddie and Harry Coombs called me one day and said, "Hey man, what you doing?" Uh, so I "He said well, me and Eddie are gonna come out here. You want you to hear Eddie's kid?" He played me, played me. They had an independent record of the song "I'm Still." Yes, and it heard it and said smash. You know, yeah. And the kid sounds like his dad. and It was all good, and uh, and played it for the boss, and
3: he was like, mm-hmm. you know, so pass. Okay, without really in the most respectful way, or if you just want to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> does sometimes does black music have to be explained to him? Like, did he know the magic that he had w- in Houdini, or is this a, like, oh, these rap guys went gold too? That was, that was really Clive Calder and Barry Weiss and Ann Carley. Ann Carley, you should
7: have on the show sometime Oh, yes. um, okay. Um, Tokioski. Um, yeah, okay. Tokiozki, yo, yeah, he had a pretty good feel. He had a feel for songs, f- songs and trends. You know,
3: mm-hmm. um, so yeah. All right. Okay, so I'm I'm revisiting, and there's a reason why I have all the Soul Train mm-hmm. stuff. So now I'm kind of in the Soul Train Awards thing, and I'm watching season two mm-hmm. of the Soul Train Awards, and you can clearly hear the boos and the jeers of mm-hmm. the second album. In the building. Yeah, I was there. Okay, so in the building, even though and it's so weird because everyone's relationship with I Wanna Dance With Somebody mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. like I I put i want to dance with somebody in what i call the september file mm-hmm. 100%. i don't i don't believe that earth Wind, and Fire really thought like september was going to be their signature song mm-hmm. just like i don't think run dmc thought that it's tricky mm-hmm. is going to be their signature song now it's like when i play i want to dance with somebody who loves me it's almost like I see the revisionist reaction of everyone, like, we've <laughs> always, always loved the song. But yeah, I did as a little case.
0: girl when it came out. As a, That's I, because
3: when you were young and she... No, no, no. And it's technically and nothing... the
0: video made it, like...
3: It's nothing wrong with it, but there's a reason. For me... Okay, so George Clinton once told this joke, said that Sly Stone said this about Prince. And Sly was like, man... He walk around here like they went to some sign of the time show, and George is like, "What'd you think?" Like that was the first time that Sly really got to see Princeton's. and Sly allegedly said, "Man, man, he he up there uh, tasting like uh, broccoli when he should be tasting like mustard greens." Aha, <laughs>
0: uh-huh. I got that. I and got so, that. okay, okay. I
3: think in my mind, <laughs> I mean,
0: I hate this the thing was
3: I tried to figure out. Okay, so the version that. I would have wanted Whitney Houston to come out with. Then it would just probably have been like a sheaf record. Mm-hmm. More thinking about you's, mm-hmm. more you mm-hmm. give good love, mm-hmm. which we're still our jams. Yeah. Yeah, but I been don't know. For reason. I, oftentimes, I don't want to be the fan that punishes someone mm-hmm. for having to adjust to the climate. Right, And it's almost like I don't know what the answer is, but I do remember when I got that record, you know loves the contact sport mm-hmm. and i was just like wow this is really poppy and yeah that i wasn't was... thinking like an R at, at the age of 15 but even i knew yeah. like yeah from inception
7: the 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 motive always was from i remember just being there she's a pop star mm-hmm. whitney's gonna be the biggest pop star in the world and that was that was the, that was the goal and the kashif tracks were there to basically introduce her to put toe in the water at black radio right get black folks you know to know who it is. We're crossing it from there, you know. Did anyone ever ask? But
3: at what cost? <laughs> That's not Whitney Houston because I'm almost certain that she, yeah, too was like, "Hello." I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So, do you know what the general feeling in the building was after the Soul Train Awards situation? Because I'm really shocked they didn't edit. So they oh. later edited those boos out, but yeah. I recorded it like.
0: Yeah. Say the full sentence, Amir, for the young folks. That okay, don't know. so
3: at the Soul Train Awards. And it really wasn't Whitney's fault, but she was just, like, too yeah. ubiquitous, winning too yeah. much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when they were nominated, and the nominees were, so emotional, used, and you just clearly hear, boo! Yeah, yeah. Right. Just crazy, crazy booze right. And me and my mom looking at each other watching the Soul Train Awards, like, yo, like, yeah. wow. Yeah. yeah. And so... And who do we want to win? I'm like, now in retrospect, too, I'm like, who do we think got duped? I was frustrated at... Her career. I'm proud of this success. Mm-hmm. But there was just too much sheen on it for me. Too much Yamaha DX7. Mm-hmm. Too much, you know, the Michael Master intros yeah, and everything. Yeah, no, no, totally. But it's weird because now mm-hmm. it's like, oh, th- I love this all along, mm-hmm. which is, you know. But what were your general feelings? Like, what was the be- feelings of the building after the Soul Train Awards? Just disappointment. You know, what the fuck was that, you know? Kind of thing, you know? Um, But was it an instant, like, we got to fix this? Or was Clive aware, like, we might have to fix this? Let's just keep it moving. That was the vibe I got. Keep it moving, you know? Keep putting
7: it on the radio and blow it up, you know?
0: All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics,
3: What happened after Arista?
7: Went to Polygram. There was a uh, new music seminar was going on in New York. Mm-hmm. It was August, what, uh, July of 86. And uh, I'd run into this guy called Bob Scoro. Scoro ended up being my head of A&R for, for Mercury, mm-hmm. the pop side. And Bob and I had known each other from out here because he used to be a song plugger for for uh, EMI Music. And I saw him when he was like, dude, how am you?" And one of those things, what's happening? I said, dude, get me out of here. He said, "What?" He said, "He said, Just get me out of here." I said, "You know, it, it wasn't working out for me. It was it was weird environment." I said, "I don't want to be here anymore." And I had aspirations of doing something. You know, Arista was not a great place to be at that time if you were a creative person who, who had illusions
3: of your own personal grandeur. You know, um, who did you try to bring there that besides Levert? Like Levert. Um, who got away?
7: Basically, Levert. Uh, and just mostly songs, because you find songs and stuff, you know that uh, that you. That, what song did you write for that? Caravan of Love, for Angie. Really?
3: Yep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For Ozzy, Jess, Ozzy? yeah. Wow, Caravan of Love, done through Angela Boothfield. Caravan of Love,
4: Yeah. Wow.
7: My uh, my ex girlfriend from years before, her sister was married to Ernie. Okay. And uh, and that's, yeah, as I got a call at one one point, yeah, you know. Ernie and Chris have songs they want you to hear. So, yeah, I'm looking for songs for Angie Bofield. Oh, we got a perfect song for them. They came up and played me Caravan of Love. And uh, Clyde didn't see it. No. So, no, oh, it's too preachy.
3: So, yeah. Oh. So. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. I assume so, that he's trying to hit middle America. Yeah, ish. Okay. And you're trying to hit all of America. Exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I see. So,
7: that got frustrating. Okay. Um, and the projects that I actually ended up working with, Kenny G got dropped in my lap, you know, because I, I did the... Uh,
3: duotones? Duotones, thank you. It, can you plan that moment? Like, can you plan that level of lightning in a bottle? Here's the moment. I'd, I'd known Kenny as
7: Kenny Gorlick when he was playing with Jeff Lorber's band. Yes, Because, yes. you know, I was a Lorber fan. And... Uh, and so when I got in, and, and once again, I spent some time with Kashif, and Kashif, and out here in LA, Hi, How You Doing was actually a hit record on the radio, mm-hmm. which was a Kenny record, but it was a Kashif record with Kenny solo in it. Right. Level. And uh, so one day I get a call. Clive actually, you know, Roy Lott, who's the number two guy at Ariston, Roy says, you know, Kenny, Kenny G, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, cool, let me hear it. I said, I know who he is, let me hear it. And then Kenny calls, Kenny's manager, a guy called Dennis Turner, who had managed George Benson. I knew I knew him from the Gimme the Night days. Um, so I came by and Kenny walks in and he says, dude, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to get off the label. I hate it here. I fucking hate it here. I'm tired of being a side man on my own records. And I looked at him and I said, dude, I know who you are. I said, I, I saw you play with Jeff many times. I said, I like your playing. He looked at me like, what, what, what? <laughs> I said, yeah, man, I dig. How you you sounded good with, with Lorber's band. I said, I know what you're trying to do. I said, but the reality is, is people are trying to put you in a, in a box that you need to be Sonny Rollins or John Coltrane, when the reality of it is, I know you, 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 your path in is like David Sanborn and Grover. Right. You know, right. And, and Junior Walker. So... And, you can, and that was like music to him, and it was, it was at the time, it was at the front end of, of the CD thing, but also it was at the front end of the whole smooth jazz, the wave format, you know? And I said, I think you can live in that zone. And then he gave me a cassette of you know home stuff that he was working on, which was ultimately the bones of, uh, the meat and bones of what was the duotone. duotones. Right. And uh, and I told him, I said, hey, man, look, here's what we need to do. If you trust me, here's what we need to do to make this fly here. So we got to do two covers. We got you two, two vocal songs. One of them's got to be a cover, and that was What Does It Take to Win Your With Love. Your love right? And then another, an, another vocal song, which was uh, uh, um, Not me don't, don't Make Me Wait for Love. Okay. Um, we got a guy called Ellis Hall, who's a keyboard player up in, up in the Bay Area that did a lot of stuff for Narda. Got Ellis to sing it, and ultimately he ended up putting Bolton on it. I said, and if we do that, we have some of the radio can, promotion can take to radio. We're off to the races and the rest will live on its own. You'll
3: you'll be the king of, you know, whatever, smooth jazz. And we did. So nowhere, and no, you can't end it, we did. I and mean, we did. You weren't. Done and done. <laughs> you, surely you weren't thinking like, and this is going to sell you 10 million copies. No, I didn't think that because I didn't think the Songbird would, would end up emerging. How did Songbird even, did. even, I was working at Sam Goody's at the time, mm. and even like the amount of people, that's how I knew. I realized that I knew some songs from right. a previous record, right. but the amount of people just kept in Songbird. Right. Dude, that's how I know what a tones is. How did y'all? How did Song songbird- I was I was
7: gone by then, but basically what happened. The story that I'm told is um, Donnie Einer, who was the head of promotion at Arista in those days, okay, best promotion per- man of his of his of his period, okay, of his of his era. Um, Donnie had gotten a call from some guy up in like I want to say. Uh, What's the part of Pennsylvania that Biden always talks about where he's from? Uh, Scranton. Oh, yeah. Scranton. Some, you know, some PD in Scranton had been using it for some, using it as a theme for some like daytime call-in show or something, Right. just the melody. And I guess people started calling the station, what is that? What's that melody playing, man? <laughs> And so they put the record on late at night and then phone started lighting up and they called Donnie and said, I think you may have something here. And Donnie pushed, the, Donnie and Clive pushed the button, put it out and off off it went. Ah,
3: oh, Yeah. Okay. So, at polygram, mm-hmm. how long does it take you to get to the top of the mountain i had I was working at, Ar- at Arista at and Ramon
7: came by to see me one day, just you know on some some whatever and uh i i, I Vanessa at that point had you know done just d- do fries go with that shake and hey, good looking on on the funk record mm-hmm. on the george clinton record and uh and I knew that they'd you know been been in and out of many offices here shopping a deal. And ostensibly what was happening was that she was kind of being ogled at by, you know, record company presidents and A&R people, whatever, but nobody was really taking it seriously. And he said, you know, said, we haven't been able to get anything happening, blah, 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 blah. And I told him, I said, look, on the lowest and I'm leaving here in about six weeks, I got this offer polygram to start a label for them and I'm going back home to California. I said, I, I would entertain the notion then. Because my theory at the time was I could start a new label with Susie Jones, you know, black, an army female that nobody, nobody's ever heard of, or I could do it with Vanessa Williams, a name that everybody knew. And I said it was incumbent on me as an A&R guy and a record maker to make the right music, to find the right hole to put her in. And so he said, okay, cool. So I, flew, I came home, and she and, I, she and I sat and had dinner one night, and
3: off uh, to the races we went, you know. Um, Is the she, goal of an A&R to find, like, three signature artists so that you can eventually like get considered for? Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, the,
7: uh, the presidency thing was not what I ever re- aspired to be, you know, um, president of the whole Mercury thing. I never aspired to be that guy, but, there was a certain aspect of when it was offered to me, I thought about a lot of those old school dudes that I knew from, you know, from my dad's era, you know, mm-hmm. old, old, old brothers who had promotion men, whatever, the Dave Clarks, Joe Medlin's in the world, people like that. People who probably worked your old man's records. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I, those guys were very qualified and, and extremely good at what they did, but they never were offered the situation, never got, never got a shot. I thought about it, I said, who am I to say no? Um, so they made me an offer I couldn't refuse and I didn't refuse it. But the truth of the matter is, the path—if I had stayed on the path that I was on, doing the wing thing, uh, you know, Vanessa Blue, Tony's Blue, Robin Harris was, was going to do was going to blow. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, we lost him in that period of time, and then I, I, that's when I found Brian along the same period of time, Brian McKnight. So if I had just done those records and just stayed in their careers, you know, that was you know, those that, that one success breeds another album, breeds another. I would have been four or five
3: albums deep on each one of them, you know. You came through the Tonys because of Foster and McElroy, but I thought they were more Warner-based in, no, like, the, the, how did they come to you? I put them with Denny and Tommy. Um, oh, were? Yeah. Okay. Um,
7: short, how they came to me was the Tonys had made us made a single, a 12-inch on McColo Records, the local indie, oh, rec- indie wow, label. Oh, wow, yeah. They made a look at how shit? Oh, wow, McCola, yeah. must
3: have told us this. Raphael didn't tell us that <laughs> shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he tells he designs video games, but he didn't
2: say that <laughs> shit.
7: <laughs> yeah. Um, I forget the name because I was thinking about it. I I can't find it now. Um, I shouldn't have sold my vinyl. Um, Yes.
2: (laughs) Life lessons. So they had a
7: 12-inch on McCola, and my head of promotion at Wing at the time was a guy called Michael Johnson. And Michael came to me one day and said, man, you got to hear this record. And I said, I heard I said, yeah, it's cool. It's all right. He said, man, they're here in time. You want to fuck with them? I said, yeah. Their manager came by, and I sat with them a little bit. And, And upon hearing it, I went, these guys sound good, but they need help. They need somebody to help sort it out a little bit. In those days, my theory was every producer worth any degree of salt had a cassette in his back pocket of an act that they wanted to work with. You know, oh, this is my cousin, this is my brother. You know, Mm -hmm. that kind of. And uh, I said, yeah, these guys are cool. So let me. uh, David Lombard, who manages Denny and Tommy, um, was a friend, and I went to see Club Nouveau because Club Nouveau was playing here in town. So when Denny and Tommy were still in the band before they left, Mm -hmm. it was actually the last gig they played with them. So I went to the show with David, and he introduced me to Danny and Tommy. And I told him, "I said, man, I, I'd like to have you guys work on this band that I'm thinking about signing." Really? Who? And I told him, "Oh, we know those guys. We knew, they knew them from Oakland because right. I guess they'd worked with Tommy in the studio up in Oakland." So. At the in- time, did you realize
3: that you were working with possibly the last? Well, not the last R&B group, but I mean, yeah. the if it starts with Sly and the Family Stone in '68, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. it kind of. Mm-hmm the the bracket ends with Tony 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 in eighty eight. Like, I was I was very aware of it. Absolutely. Um, so you knew that black music was in trouble
7: even in eighty six <laughs> eighty seven eighty eight. I did. I did. What were some um,
4: of the that, that, uh, indicators for you?
7: Black radio. Mm. Um, you know there was that that MTV video of video killed the radio star. Right, right. I said black radio
3: killed the black radio star. Um, wow. during a period of time. You know, talk uh, about that. Is it just it. in terms of promoting? So you talk about Dining Iron, which I didn't know it even started. He didn't Aris start Bay.
7: there, but he that was when he does his big gig
3: before he went to before Sony. Before he went to Sony. Yeah. Okay, so when you talk about promotion men, can you tell about the difference between as much as you're allowed to say, like how these songs get on radio or how they get promoted as opposed to now, which I, you know,
0: and explain what you mean about how it killed, because we didn't really explain yeah.
3: that part. Um,
7: yeah, both of the above. Okay. Um, so to give a uh, perfect example as it worked with me was when we released the first Brothers Johnson album in 1976, Look Out for Number One, mm-hmm. the first city that it blew up in was D.C. So we, um, me and George and Louis were, were going to D.C. to do some promotion. Um, and we were coming in from Dulles in the car, and we're here and, and turn on H.U.R., and uh, and and KYS whatever hmm? right. the other stations in DC and they're blasting good to you. Get the funk out of my face. Thunder Thumbs and Lightnings, like free and single and tomorrow. Playing damn, five, even even the filler. Yep, yeah, five cl- cuts deep. You're know, playing the shit out H-O-R. of it. You know this oh, is yeah, exactly playing the shit out of it. I say, like, oh my god, this is great. You know it was it's on like that. So that night we were the uh, the local guy in the market took us to dinner with the uh, the program director, music director of of. Uh, Wol, the uh,
4: the oh, big wow. pops uh, radio Green one. And was that with, yeah, that was Peter Green. That
0: was Wol. Was yeah, Wol Wmmj is Kathy Hughes. Do Hughes? June, and 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 yeah, but Kathy's first station.
4: So they took
7: us to dinner with these guys. It was. Program director at the time was a guy called Bobby Bennett, who was known as the Burner, sort of legendary radio guy. Another guy called Chuck McCool, a guy called Cortez Thompson, who went on to become a head of promotion at, 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 at Warner Brothers. And another guy whose name escapes me. So, you know, we're at the dinner table and I'm green behind the ears. I'm geeked. And, oh, this is worth the pond. This is great. This is great. Oh, you guys are playing a record. Right. We're in the car. Well, we heard our record the whole way in. And one of them looks at me, come here, young brother. Let me talk to you a minute. He took me into the bathroom, you know, and said, and then five guys come in the bathroom. I'm like, what the fuck? They said, let, let me explain something to you. And I said, okay. I said, basically, yeah, you were playing the shit out of your record, but you know, we can play the shit out of his record or her record or his record too. But here's, here's, here's your payback for this. We're going to do a, We're doing this. We're also concert promoters. We're going to do a series of shows, um, in the DC, DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia. It's a conflict. It was, was, was P-Funk, P Natalie Cole, and the, and the Bootsy and the Brothers Johnson. And you know, whatever your going rate is, it's not gonna be your going rate. So, and we'll keep, you'll keep those spins up and they did, and we did, and, uh, and the record. This was is how the animals. Chef Gordon,
3: <laughs> Teddy Pendergrass story comes into play. Mm-hmm. Because Chef Gordon told us that programmers and DJs were like, any concerts that you saw in the right. 70s and 80s were due to the radio station, right. not independent of, hey, Right. I'm coming to town right. and you pay me. Right. So they... The I, beginning of the promo
0: show, I guess, era? Yeah, it the was. The beginning of the exactly. promo shows because yeah,
3: that exactly. was all the way it into i got legitimized it was it was with, the with the promo show. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You're going to yeah. play our Christmas
7: show, you know, years later. Right? I see. So yeah. how
0: did they kill it? How did Black Radio kill it for you?
7: There's so much... I don't want to say payola, but just... There limited spots. Guys were taking money mm-hmm. and then, you know, they wouldn't play the... You know, you didn't get the spins that, you know, that you were expected to get, you know, so many hours in a day and then, you know, but legitimate hits got played, but stuff that, you know, that you want to get a shot, you know, I think we could do well with this, here's X amount, you know, I need whatever, 50 spends this week, you know, whatever, didn't happen, you know, guys took your money and ran, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's no loyalty anymore to legacy acts. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, when you see like that, I'm talking early into late 90s. Now, when you see seeing that Luther, Stevie, Anita Baker, people like that are having to fight to get on the radio at Black Radio.
3: It's, that's really a sad state of affairs. It is. I think about it all the time. But for you, it's like when when do you consider you leaving or do you consider yourself completely graduated from – quote-unquote, the business? Yeah, I am. I'm more or less retired. I still do little bits and pieces of stuff
7: here and there, you know, because I get these occasional phone calls, hey, Ed, I got an idea. And I always (laughs) say, does a check come with that idea? And I'll pay attention. (laughs) But But uh, do
3: you, is watching the state of music right now, mm -hmm. is it a dizzying experience? Somewhat. Is it like a beautiful mind meme where you just see?
7: (laughs) (laughs) Is it like that for you? Yeah, somewhat. It was interesting. In preparation for today, I, I was thinking about. You know, I said, well, if I get asked the question, you know, what are you listening to, and I'd realize I hate uh, answering that question. I, yeah, Then I realized that you know, of most of the new stuff that I listen to is old stuff that's either been recently released mm-hmm. or it's new on my radar. You know, um, but you know, it's just not a lot of new stuff that you know. I don't. Mean, I don't mean to sound like an old man, but it's not a new a lot of new stuff that rocks my world. You know, no, we're
3: we're uh, a band of uh, of folk who somewhat frustrated Mm -hmm. it's just harder to find it these days there's way too many options
0: because at the same time we say that but then i also i'll hear y'all two talking about like new r&b acts and stuff like that that i've never heard of and Mm -hmm. i'm just like fuck how do i even find these people Mm
3: -hmm. well yeah i mean i think now you have to have the patience to you know either scroll on the internet or in my case i have at least 20 music snobs that I just peek on there at Spotify and see what they're listening to, and then oh, I'll take that and take that. I mean, that's how I knew what, who Salt was, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, oh, so. Yeah. I like Salt. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's cool. like
4: there's, there's, there's a few, a few left. Ed, I want to ask what year, so you're president of a uh, Mercury from what years? When did you? I was co-president initially. I was at, Poly- I was at
7: Polygram doing the wing from 1986 to 1988, and then I became co-president of Mercury uh 1988 till 1990 with a guy called Mike Bone okay. and then uh and then I became the sole president from 1990 till I left in
4: 1998. Oh wow. Okay. So it was a, it was a run. Mm-hmm. So in terms of um I want to know with hip hop, looking back on it now, like Mercury was always a label with hip hop. I mean y'all had Black Sheep, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? You had like uh el Scratch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like y'all had records. OG. OG mm-hmm. 100%, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so for me, it it, it seems like Mercury was one of the first labels that I, in retrospect now, they, y'all had like records and artists, but it was kind of like, unless that artist was attached to like, like Black Sheep, mm-hmm. they were attached to Native Tongues. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But if you had artists that had great records, if they weren't attached to another production company, like, you know what I'm saying? Um, or like, like, you know, what became Rockefeller and mm-hmm. uh, Murder, Inc. and mm-hmm. all of those things. It was kind of the beginning for me of losing faith mm-hmm. in major labels mm-hmm. doing hip hop. Mm-hmm. Like if I just saw Columbia, I'm like, mm. but mm. if I see you know Rockefeller Slash, I'm like, oh mm. okay, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. It's like a good housekeeping st- stamp of it, approval, it, or the Quincy Jones reduction. Yeah, exactly. You feel me? You know what yeah, mean? I mean. So do. how did you, um, as a label head, how did pushing hip hop, coming from like the pop background and with, mm. with Clive and stuff, mm. how did you adapt to marketing hip hop?
7: You just you know, get in where you can fit in, you know. And yeah. if it was this case of finding stuff that was attached to somebody else or something else, that's how you did it, you know. Because um, you knew there was an uphill climb if you're starting it from scratch. Because at radio, once again, the first question you were going to be asked is, "Who are they down with?" You know, who are they yeah, associated with? They they straight yeah, up, so yeah. it was that, you know.
2: Similarly, there's like a new phase of white rock music in, in the same time period, right? It's Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, Camp, Tears for Fears, Kiss. Like, what what made the diversity of what you were doing. I like think you started R and B, now it's rock music, like they yeah. were how'd you feel about being that guy to usher that kind of stuff in? Yeah,
7: the uh all those artists were already at the label when I got there, you know, I inherited them. And um
2: it was interesting.
3: Did you have good relationships with most of them? Or did you did you feel that there was resistance from the rock people that maybe you don't understand them? I know there was a situation with Sylvia Roan at Electra with like Metallica. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of disrespect on their end because they're like, does this black, this black woman knew about yeah, that?" Yeah. Like,
7: I had my version of that. You know, I at one point was sort of asked the question, "What does he know about rock and roll?" And I'd always say, "A whole lot more than you know about R and B." You know, that just part, that my
0: man. people created it. <laughs> right, right.
7: Uh, <laughs> you know but um, there's a
2: line here that says John Mellencamp being difficult. I'm sure there's a story there. <laughs> That's two, <laughs> <saw it> <laughs> <Well, to, laughs> say less. Two is Upset.
3: John's also an eccentric. I think all artists are eccentric. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know. I liked him,
7: but he was, like, see, he he definitely, what's the Q-tip line record in there? Shady. Shady. Yeah. Shady. John definitely read that book, um, <laughs> and then had had suspicion of everybody. Everybody record company's an idiot, you know. Yeah. And uh, and
3: you know. And he was successful though. He was, but he just had you know, everything was. Were you the brainchild behind the Michelle and Diego Chela, uh, Ooh. do duet? Ish. Um, mm-hmm. Tim Tim. That's won- gonna be our new Wild word. Man. Yeah. Know. <laughs> <laughs> He's used that a
7: lot. And Wild nights are calling. Tim White, Timothy White, who used to be the uh, editor of Billboard, Right. So, uh, Tim and I were pretty friendly and he was one of John's closest friends. And I knew that if I pitched John directly, here's an idea I have for a duet, but he was like, oh, fuck you. <laughs> and, uh, so Tim calls me at one point and says, we're having a conversation. He goes, I'm trying to help John make some sense of this next record. Blah, blah, blah. He said, what do you think? I said, well, a cover might be a cool idea. A cover in a duet. He goes, hey, that's good. I said, Michelle DeNicke Ocello. She was the it girl of the moment. And so let's see if, I said, John, you know, it'll satisfy his Negro gene, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> so. Um, hey, this is a guy that once
3: played Little Rick Revet out of a Walkman,
7: like, to his audience, like, uh, uh. back in 82. So, and so, yeah, t- Tim basically went to John. So here's an idea, blah, 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 And John loved Van Morrison. So it was cool, and then they did it ish i was at i was at a it's michelle
3: show uh at the blue note and some poor soul on the back was like shouted it out yeah no and i was like oh, oh come wow. on yeah, yeah, yeah. stop hey. Uh, hey. no how, what was uh, the response
4: oh, good. <laughs> she laughed okay good. <laughs> oh that's how involved uh, involving you in um with the creation of vanessa's the comfort zone album 100 uh, percent. okay there was a, a producer nuts. you worked with on there keith thomas yeah keith who, yeah man mm. like how did that because the my favorite song on that album again Goodbye. Mm-hmm. That was my goodbye. Story. is great. Uh-huh. I love That's that song. the one. Uh-huh. I love like song, yeah. Brian McKnight comes yeah. in at the end. Yeah. Like, I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Deep Cup yeah. Smurf. Yeah. No, no, nah. Cover yeah. Zone is the shit. That's uh, the, yeah. That was the yeah. one. Yeah. Um, um, yeah,
2: Keith
7: Thomas, because I, I I really like the BB and CC record. I'm lost without you. Yeah, um, I'm yeah. Lost And then Keith had produced that record, wrote and produced that record. And uh, Keith was kind of Christian David Foster. You know, right. that was the vibe. You know, and when when the publishing person played me, save the best for last. And I said, "Yeah," and I played it for V, and she dug it. I said, "Who's the right person to produce?" I said Foster would be great to do it, but I know he won't. But uh, I said, "Let's get Keith Thomas." So I called Keith Scott Folks, who was in our guy in those days. I Foster called... would front on you. Everybody fronted on. Well, him Dreamin'
3: was a proven hit by then.
7: Folks, Folks fronted. Yeah. She, she had she... to do it again to prove it. Yeah, exactly. God damn! And so got Keith. The disrespect. Uh, called Keith, and and they and they and he said, "Yeah, I'm down." The funny part about it is Keith's production assistant had sent me a cassette of just ideas that he had and then left out two two songs that Keith thought had come to me, he thought I passed on. One of them was Baby, Baby, the Amy Grant record, and the other was the song that was
4: this big Selena hit. So that's that's the Keith Thomas story. You know, Keith 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 was a good dude. And uh, how was it, because uh, another one of your hip-hop artists uh, I really like, Diamond D, he had, yep. uh, were you involved?
7: We had a deal with, I can't remember the name of the label chemistry right now. Chemistry? Record, okay, yeah. Chemistry records, okay. Chemistry records, a guy called Brian Chen. <laughs> Brian was the Brian dance j- okay. dance music editor at Billboard for a long time. Uh, and, and Brian had a partner whose name escapes me right now, but they did, they did, They had chemistry. Ed O.G. was theirs. Um, yeah, a few things. Diamond D. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb.
1: Can you please tell us the girlfriend story? Oh, sure. So
7: 1987, 86, 87, I'm working with Vanessa on her first record. So we're trying to make some sense of who would produce, who would work with on that record. And I knew these two guys from Cincinnati at the time called Kenny Edmonds and Antonio Reed. I had met them because when I was working for Quincy, there was a local street producer, entrepreneur, a guy called Pablo Davis in the Cincinnati, Columbus, Ohio area. Uh, and Pablo turned me on to the Callaway brothers. Oh, um, and then, bitch. and, and also he, and he, he was looking after Kenny and Anto- Kenny and Antonio. They were just becoming LA and baby face. They, they hadn't gotten on yet. And they came by my office, had Vanessa go by their place and they worked, she worked with them on some songs and, uh, and they, they gave her a song called girlfriend which was great. I forget who was singing the lead on the demo and i learned heard it. So the smash, I got to have this record. And I thought we'd made a deal. We played, let's make a deal. And V was, she was pregnant with her first child at that point. And, um, I guess truth of matter is cut to the end. Pebbles was the per- perfect person for it. Cause she had the attitude. She was that persona. Vanessa's not that persona, but it was, uh, well, she
3: tried with, yeah. the. Yeah, You know, the right stuff was yep. a little bomb squatted out and yep. and uh, exactly. and the second single uh, from the Comfort Zone album. Yeah.
7: Um, uh, running Back to You. Running Back <laughs> to You. Right, yeah, right, yeah, right. Running, running right, Back right,
2: to you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she had a little
7: attitude. Anyway, so like I said, I thought I had made a deal for these, there were like four songs on the tape that we wanted them all. Um, and Girlfriend was one of them. And at the last minute, right when I thought it was time for us to get started. La Bales. he said. "He I 'I can't fuck with you on this record, man.' You know, I guess Lowell that he played him for Lowell and, and for Lowell, yeah, Lowell and Gerald, and they, you know, they loved him, loved it, and then you know, threw money at him and made him an offer he couldn't refuse, and he, and you know, I got left ass out, so yeah, you know, I wasn't, right, I was, man. you know, it was it was it was nearly a A and R wars, you know, because I was like, I want to beat this brother's
3: ass. You know? <laughs> so, um, Thank
7: you, man. The, uh, the, yeah.
3: So, so what do you feel? From afar. Mm-hmm. From seat 302 of the bleachers. Oh. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Do you have hope that sort of the thing that, and again, I know this is such a subjective question because I'm certain that there's some 14-year-old that's in their feelings mm-hmm. at a Billy Eilish
5: show <laughs>
3: that, you know, probably the same way your dad's looking at Sly the Family Stone, mm-hmm. like, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. Like. I knew Billie Holiday, but in your mind, do you think that there will be an itch that gets scratched uh, as far as your relationship to music and what brought you to it? I don't know. Or is it just in your kids' hands now? It's in my kids'
7: hands now, because there's a certain aspect of it that I wonder that you know. It's the old "if the tree falls in the forest, does anybody hear it?" You know, I'm um, at times that if whatever that next big flash point is, if it happens, will anybody really? How much will anybody really give a fuck? And the give a fuck factor is decidedly different now in terms of what that impact is. You know, um, it's the because there's so many
3: options. You know, you know. This is probably, this, this is the episode that I wish the Faith Newman episode was. Like, I feel satisfied. She's going to oh, hate us. She's going to hate us. No, she, no, <laughs> she knows. I always, always tease her about, like, you know, you made the worst QLS episode <laughs> of
0: all time. Like, it's just the voice, Faith. The, the Monica
3: voice. episode was a bomb.
7: Shouts uh, yeah, to that's Monica. Your, yeah. That's yeah. your favorite? What's yeah. your
0: favorite QLS episode, so far?
3: Uh, Bootsy was cool. That was great. Monica was cool. You're going to love the Robert Townsend episode. Yeah. yeah. That is, like Robert Townsend, in my opinion, has put the family stand. At... Jimmy Jam was first. Yeah, Jam was great. That was great. But then, for me, the family stand episode was the Jimmy Jam episode with humor mm-hmm. and a lot of salacious, mm-hmm. unnecessary,
4: a <laughs> mm-hmm. and r slashing.
3: I pray that Sylvia comes Present. on the show eventually. And then uh, Robert. I don't know, the, Robert Townsend's episode was an unexpected nice surprise. So, mm. But no, this is equally satisfying, man. I, I learned so much today, man. Cool. Can I just I ask one you. Roots yeah. question? Yes. Sure. So,
0: Ed, in retrospect, as you were watching this ship go by without you, <laughs> did you ever have any moments where you were like, man, if only they would have signed with me, I would have did da-da-da-da-da, or I would have been had them and so-and-so-and-so? I done
3: told you that five minutes after this episode. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> like, like um, oh, we. But for, him, for us. You
2: know,
7: for me... My roots moment because once again, I wasn't as invested at the time when you were showcasing. That was really right. Lisa and Kenyatta. And I would have you know, jumped on board had you know, had we gotten the made I green lighted the deal, so I would have right. jumped on board. To give you a little sidebar to digress a minute. But th- how the whole thing went down when, you know, a couple of names were spelled wrong. Yes. That yeah. ended up being a, a huge moment for us inside the label. Because at Polygram at that time, all business affairs was kinda done centrally out of corporate and the label individual labels didn't have their own business affairs people. Right. And I I made so much fucking noise about that. Somebody and got like, fired. You yeah, fired somebody. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I didn't fire the person, but one of the business affairs person. And ultimately what it led to was Sorry, to me, whoever you are. me getting my own business affairs person inside the company, which is a woman called Julie Swidler. And Swidler's Julie's now the head of business affairs and has been for the last ten years at Sony globally. So yeah. And
3: she crossed every team, and dot every I know, yeah, right?
7: Exactly. All right. Yeah. Well so I um, was I was drugged that we lost you. But in answer to answer your question, where it really resonated with me was when you guys went to England uh-huh. because uh, I was dealing with Giles a lot in those days. Yeah. And um and then also that how, you know, when you initially blew up quote-unquote, blew up. Um, I a couple of my friend's kids, white, who were college students in the East, were like, Ed, have you heard, ever heard of The Roots? Ever heard of the roots? Uh, you know. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that was me. Huh?
6: <laughs>
7: <laughs> so, yeah. There's a lot of that. I was like, oh, I love the Roots. You guys were generating it on your own, because I don't think it was being marketed that oh, way. Oh, huh, God, no. Yeah.
3: Wendy Goldstein did what was allowed at the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's almost, like, literally, it's the second we signed, then the crisis started happening. Mm-hmm. No more Nirvana, no more Aerosmith, no more... You know Guns N' Roses, mm. and then it's like, ah, uh, we should have went to Polygram. Maybe <laughs> I got a couple things. I yes, now? oh I, yeah, yes. You oh got? he's presenting me with records.
0: What'd you oh, got?
3: Whoa, okay. <laughs> Wait, can you explain what this is? Yes, yeah,
7: beat to shit. It's a '78 of of oh, wow. of, oh, of
5: Leander's in the Hearts.
4: Oh <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow wow!
5: On Chess his with the original group. Chess logo. Seven-eight
4: of his dad's group. Wow. On Chess? You <laughs> yeah. On, on Chess. Chess yeah. records. Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Don't cry. Don't cry. Whatever you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like you you need <laughs> whatever you need to do. Get yeah. yeah. like you going and bring that
0: up, cuz. Whatever you need to do. Yeah. Have your moment. Have your moment.
4: That was
7: an artifact that came from my mom and dad. You know, Pops pops didn't give a fuck about Doo-Wop, but apparently he liked your dad's group, man, because he had that record.
6: Wow.
4: And it's a 78- do you wow. have something to play a seventy eight on? Like, do you yeah, have a yeah, to yeah, play, yeah, a I play could, 78? but okay. I,
2: I have to frame this.
4: Yeah, that's a frame. Yeah, I I that's fine, what bro. you do with yeah, it. Yeah, don't play that. I, already <laughs> <Yeah>. don't <laughs> just, I feel like it'll
2: just like evaporate man, into dust. I am
3: so I'm beyond grateful for this. Man, this is wow. I've never seen. Not a
2: speechless guy, Ed. You made him <laughs> a speechless guy. Well done, man. That's real. Nah, man. That's, that's real. Ten
3: inch. And, oh man! Even Roy Calhoun's, the girl around the corner's on the beach. Oh shit, Ed!
0: What do you have?
3: Now we
7: will some bowls. What oh, the hell is <laughs> this? <What> is? <laughs> well, wait a minute. Look at the back of it, and I'll read you the letter. Because there's no! a. What
6: is,
7: what is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? So the legend is told that when Prince oh, no. was initially. Doing demos and shopping himself, he only made three demos to send out. A&M. One one was to go to one no one was to go to Warner Brothers, one was to go to Columbia, and the, the lore has been AM, but the, it was Quincy Jones. And uh, wow. and so I, I, got I got this letter? I got this letter You guys have to see this. <laughs> I got this letter. This is like a year before COVID from Owen Husney. Owen was yeah, Prince's yeah, yeah. original manager as an uh. old friend. Ed, sorry this is 40 years late in getting to you. You know how the mail is these days. This is the early eight-track demo before we made the original 24-track demo that got him signed to Warner Brothers. Your name is in my handwriting and the rest is Prince. You can still make an offer to sign him if if you like what's on the tape. (laughs) (laughs) Hope hope all is well. Um, Please keep this secure as this is worth quite a bit to
4: collectors. Holy shit yeah and it's it's soft and wet and aces Uh, was that yep you know those you know know it's a demo it also says
2: very stereo (laughs) very this is why it's so important very stereo stereo.
7: Prince Rogers Nelson Esquire right oh shit yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah.
0: this is why it's so important to know your history and the players we Mm -hmm. gotta keep saying your name say
5: your name say (laughs) your name dude Got a nice gift, and for the rest of us, yeah.
4: What else? I get the for the president. first diamond album, <laughs> Esquire. <Yeah.
6: laughs> is that what he
0: wrote, Prince Nelson Esquire?
6: Yeah, yeah.
3: Prince Nelson Esquire. That's mm-hmm. hilarious. Very stereo. Very stereo. He's a lawyer. Nah,
4: man, that's seventy. So, so, yeah, so that's seventy-eight. How, how, old is that? How, how do you think that person is?
3: Well, Teardrops came out in fifth, uh,
4: fifty-eight wow bro yeah holy you gotta show the camera they got now. Nah, that's oh that's,
3: yeah that's, this 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 came out in 58 so
4: mm-hmm. wow and that's an original press and that's like yeah man. yeah yeah 78 as you can say somebody played the shit out of it yeah, yeah <laughs> you don't have to fight so
7: John you your that name drummer. on it chicken,
3: chicken, chicken. albert Yes. <laughs> yeah,
7: yeah. Cool. wow
5: that's amazing wow this Go is, this this is, is
4: a, i brought a couple oh, others man. why we do- you sign did you sign joe Huh? I you signed Joe? So, yeah. Yes, anyone. He was. He was signed. I needed Dango. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything. Yeah, he was, I had yeah. the first yeah. album. A guy called
7: Dave McPherson it, signed him to the uh, label. Yeah. Okay. Also, we
2: didn't discuss the Jason's lyric soundtrack. Damn. Perhaps, Bam. Uh, perhaps one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Right. Wow. It is? Yes. Little... That's why I, I, for whatever reason, that's what it's You will know. Yeah, you will know. Oh, oh, you will know. Shut we got to know. I love that song. Yeah, I don't remember, but that was so cool. Whoa, before. this is your. Cool. This is
3: your. uh, <laughs> <laughs> This is your. Black
0: Men United? Wasn't that it No, like? I know. It was yep. Black
3: Men United. I love that song. We can talk about that. Cause... Actually, wait a minute. Did you take a stab at D'Angelo before you signed it, EMI?
7: Yeah, Gary Because of Gary, Yeah, Gary, yeah. Gary and then Jocelyn. Jocelyn was working for me in there those days too.
3: Were and you in the? Were you in the? Wait, Jocelyn oh, got, was shopping at the time, or
7: no? Jocelyn had a publishing company with me. i made. We made a deal called For Midnight Music, and uh, when Gary took it to EMI, we, Jocelyn signed the publishing deal. Okay. That, that had him, and Gary. They weren't going to use You Will Know for his album, and George Jackson, and Doug McHenry were doing. Jason's lyric and it brought me in I was music supervising it with him and uh, and I knew, I'd heard um you will know from gary and i said this would be perfect for the for the for the soundtrack uh-huh. given the, the theme of the, the film and all that stuff and having uh-huh. you know come from the sort of the q world mm-hmm. i came up with the idea of let's do it as a you know, we are the worldish kind yeah. of thing and called it black bmu because that's what they're calling prisons at that point black man university was you know because there were so many oh, brothers in jail damn and the prisons would be called bmu wow and i said let's call it bmu and they went okay. and i said black men united it's, oh shit and then we did yeah. so then
3: but you also did the same for women for yeah. the oh freedom yeah Panther panthers yeah, panthers. yeah, Panther <laughs> <soundtrack>. yeah exactly <laughs> well I want to thank you for coming on the show man, yeah, <laughs> man Happy
4: nah, thank you my man. pleasure yeah. now awesome nah, you've been buying like some of my favorite records man like Amy, like you know just from Vanessa Williams the, the Tonys you know like if I saw your name on it I was like okay I, I <laughs> it's, official. Out. Yeah, it's official thanks so no nah, for real man thank you for listening to Questlove
3: Supreme hosted by Amir Questlove Thompson Elias St. Clair, Fonte Coleman, Sugar Steve Mandel, and Unpaid Bill Sherman. Executive Producers are Amir Questlove-Thompson, Sean G., and Brian Calhoun. Produced by Brittany Benjamin, Cousin Jake Payne, and Elias St. Clair. Edited by Alex Convoy. Produced by iHeart by Noel Brown and Mike Johns. Audio Engineering by Graham Gibson at iHeart's LA Studio. What's Love Supreme is a production of iHeart Radio. For more podcasts from iHeart Radio, visit the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite
1: shows. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
8: Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
9: What's up, everybody? This is
2: Stephen A. Smith